do believe we are live welcome everybody to another episode of the break the rules live stream i'm your humble host lev poliakov at lev po on twitter and we are here today with daniele bolelli ben and amanda Thanks for having me. thank you for being here and amanda milius for the very first time i've been wanting to get amanda on for a very long time so happy we finally got to uh, make this happen uh daniele you are a man of true knowledge, the drunken Taoist. You have a wonderful podcast called History on Fire, which I highly recommend for all the Dan Carlin fans out there, for all the history buffs, uh, you know, and Conan buffs. Highly recommend you check it out. As you could tell of the poster behind uh, Daniele, Amanda, what is that poster there? Now that one is uh, that one is actually this guy Iq Sojun. He was this Zen monk from the 1400s. He's drinking wine that's falling off the body of this lady, and uh, his main passions in life, in no particular order, were Zen, uh, women, and alcohol. And um, I love that guy. Very pre, uh, almost like a pre Frizetta. Yeah, exactly. Has that uh, has that vibe? Yeah. And uh, Amanda, you are a film producer, director. You've worked in film pretty much your entire life, uh, starting from, as I recently found out, Flynn Publications of uh, all places, but not in their... Oh, yeah, that's right. I talked about that. I always do that, where I think I'm having just like a conversation with someone, and then I'm uh... like, everything I'm saying is public. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I'll remind you that... Flynn Publications, when I worked there, is a giant building on Wilshire that had every magazine from Martha Stewart living to some unmentionables to, um, I think it was like Architectural Digest. I don't know, like architecture magazines and like, like Flynn bought everything. So there was a lot of magazines, um, production going on that was not necessarily just not conservative. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. No, no, but and I'm gonna, I'm, every time I laugh, I'm going to sound coughing like that tonight. It's going to be terrible. I just have to warn you for the rest of the night. I'm I'm going to live, but that it's just that's what it's going to sound like. No, no problem at all, Amanda. But the reason why I mentioned Flynn in particular is because I think a lot of people online have this idea that people are supposed to be like these picture perfect, only associate with the right kind of people individuals and what i found well, on the internet my dad yeah. got me that job. I mean, that's the funniest thing everybody thinks my dad got me all my jobs that's the only job my dad ever got me ever like i was like could i like work in the film industry and he was like well you can work in production and like your choice was like i don't know like reenactments on the history channel or like work for mr flynn and um flint larry flint flint yes and uh that was was the that was the I, I just picked that it had more different material I was not in any compromising places but um yeah um but that was the only thing and so I always I say that just usually to like come back at people when they're like oh well she only got her job in the Trump administration because of her dad and I'm like my dad doesn't know Trump like they, they don't like all like Republican like big men don't all just like hang out together. He does know the boys, the the Trump kids, but that's just from hunting, uh, hunting and shooting, sporting clays, stuff like that. They're a member of the same club in uh, New York. 
and I used to shoot there a lot, but there was no like, like this idea that someone's like my someone's gonna pick up the phone and be like, oh hey, John Milius's daughter wants to work at the State Department, and that that that's gonna work like that. It just make, doesn't make any sense. But I, I don't care. I this this new like insult that's going around these days of like um, the Nepo baby is my favorite thing because what are you supposed to say like? Oh, I'm I'm so sorry that my parents like had like pretty great careers and like in their work impacted a lot of people and people really like them. And I was lucky to be raised by like geniuses and on my mom's side, like a model actress, like, oh, no, I like how insulting to me. Like, what am I supposed to say? Well, like, just, just a quick recap for those who do not know. Your father is the great and powerful John Milius, director director of Conan the Barbarian, which I saw yesterday. And, and writer, you yes, Actually, writer. We yes. have the. Uh, I have I have a little bit of a prop. I have. I don't know if you guys have gotten wow. this, but it's a giant coffee table book. It's huge. Um, I don't know the author. I don't. We didn't talk to him, uh, which is very normal these days because my dad's archive is at uh at the usc collection so anyone who wants to write a book or whatever about his work can go access that library but um yeah it's a very cool purchase if you're into conan stuff if you're into frazetta if you're into ha like sub i think that we're going to talk about um ron cobb's early drawings this book is really good like i i didn't know anything about it and i just took a chance and got it and i mean it is everything you would want out of a Conan book. Um, and from what I can tell, it doesn't buy into the, uh, the one thing that tends to be a little bit of a, um, a back and forth. I'm very good friends with Sean Stone, um, Oliver and, and his dad I, is a fan of the movie, which is great. And uh, his, his, him, him and my dad, Oliver Stone and, and my dad have been friends for years and in a weird way, right? Because they think they're yeah. they're politically opposite. They're just they don't know that the horseshoe has come together. But so Sean and I know that. Like we're like you know close to the same age, so we're just like yeah, we agree on pretty much everything. Like politically, we're just like yeah, we're all screwed. Like we know. Um, and uh, but there is one little point of difference, which is that um, occasionally on shows and whatnot, people claim that Oliver Stone co-wrote um conan, conan the barbarian i mean you can just buy the script okay that like you can download it on the internet that my dad wrote and then you can watch the movie and you can see that they match up identically and i will tell you that it's not does it seem like an oliver stone movie or does it seem like a john milius movie that's all i'm gonna say like just to clear that up but um well, yeah. throughout this conversation, I definitely want to talk about, uh, first off, Conan, but then I also want to see how exactly Conan relates to what's going on right now in the uh, real world, because you were mentioning the horseshoe theory. I see that as both kind of a plus and a minus as far as, you know, how extreme is too extreme as far as not, you know, not, not getting rid of things that actually work. But before we get to that, I want to ask Daniele, how did you get inspired by Conan the Barbarian? I have a good story for you. So my first uh, Conan experience uh, was uh, when Conan came out, I was eight years old. 
So I, in Italy, the, the laws regarding movie making are very different. Like in, in US, you know, if your parents take you, you can go to a movie that's like uh, PG-13 and they are eight years old and they let you go if your parents say yes. In Italy, it was an absolute no, right? You know, if you are, they only had two uh, age limit. It was 14 years old and 18. So if you are 14, under 14, they're just, your parents can sign whatever they want and show up with you. Nobody gives a crap. You still can't go in. So my dad was like, ah, shit, what are we going to do? So we went anyway. And then we got there and he just pulled off the best acting job ever. He went to the guy at the front and was like, uh, what do you mean we can go in? You know, there, it wasn't written in the newspapers and we came from so far and uh, da, da, da. And the guy's like, no, it was written in the newspaper. No, but uh, he went out of this old drama thing. And the guy at the front was like, you know what, just go in. And, uh, and so my dad is there ready to pay him. And he's like, nope, can't do that. Because if you pay me, then it means I saw you guys and I let mm. you in. And now I'll get in trouble. So I did not see you. I was turned the other way and you guys walked in. So just so that was my eight year old experience of going to watch Conan. And, uh, and yes, I never had a chance after that. My life was <laughs> permanently marked at that point. What would you say was the scene that permanently marked out of all the uh, scenes of the movie for you? You know, honestly, the whole thing. I mean, the entire thing I've loved to death. Um, the way the way Amanda's father wrote the thing is fantastic. Like, I find the screenplay. Like, I later read all Robert E. Howard, and I love him to death. I think he's a brilliant writer. And, of course, people are always bitching about, oh, it's not exactly a Robert E. It's like it's never exactly anything. You know, when yeah. you change a medium, it inevitably becomes something else. That is... Milius Conan. That's not Robert E. Howard Conan. It is not supposed to be. And to me, it's like, whereas everyone else who tried to tackle Conan that did fairly awful things with it, both in literature and in movies. And cartoons. Way, Don't forget yeah, the cartoons. Yeah, the whole thing. The way uh, Milius was the only guy who, other than Robert E. Howard, did something fantastic with the character. You know, and I just... Uh, Love the whole, and one thing that I love too, the beside the, the obvious, which is the you know the substance of the movie, I really found it having one of the best soundtracks ever recorded. Oh my god, that yeah. soundtrack is just I could listen yeah. to it every day of my life and never get tired. You we know, have a good just... story about the soundtrack, actually. Um, I'm sure you already know that Basil Polidorus was um, my dad's best friend in film school at mm. USC. He mm -hmm. was actually studying to be a director. He wasn't at the music school. He was at the same school that I went to, which is the uh, producing and directing school. He was hanging out with the same guys, you know, George Lucas, um, uh, Randall Kleiser, um, all, all those guys, same, you know, Spielberg, Coppola, same group of guys, right? Um, but he ended up becoming the, the just a music, you know, a composer and a musical uh -huh. genius. And he and my dad were like this, like I think they, uh -huh. they had such a close relationship. It was the most upset I have seen my dad at, you know, his friends are older. My dad is uh -huh. like in his eighties. He's like, I'm the, I always have to explain to people. Uh, the child of a third marriage in Hollywood. So like the, my dad is as old as like most people's grandparents. Um, he's uh, 79. I... Hmm? He's 79, right? Um, Your dad. 
sure if that's what it says. That's um, what it says there. <laughs> um, He's, the reason why I'm saying it is because I wanted to look up his birthday to see if it's possible, and it is possible that he is the reincarnation of Robert E. Howard, because Robert E. Howard died in 1936. And your father, okay. it says, was born you in 44. Well, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> to be fun. fair, the Jews believe in Gilgul, so they believe in reincarnation, so... He'll tell you he's the reincarnation of Alexander the Great, though. So I don't know if both given no that works given the several lifetimes definitely yeah. yeah 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 he will tell you that uh, which was makes no sense at all um, but I mean a little bit I mean our last name is uh, found all over uh, the Roman Empire um, but the Roman Empire not the greek so anyways it's you don't question some of the stuff he says like it's just like you're like okay like you know this week we're descendants of alexander the great and really we're german and we're bavarian on all like okay maybe that i guess whatever uh but anyway the the story with the um with uh about basil polydorus and the soundtrack okay so my dad had a stroke probably like uh, 10 or 15 years ago, like like quite a while back. And um, my brothers and I had to sneak into the hospital um, because again, Hollywood marriages, um, the wife he had at the time had told the hospital, even though she wasn't there, not to let his children in. Um, and so, or it was like one of us, one of my brothers was allowed, but then the other brother and myself were like on the like no list. So I had to pretend to be my own brother's girlfriend to go to see my dad in the hospital. And the nurses were like, like, so eventually I was like, hi, dad. Like I was like talking to him, you know, trying to like, because if someone has a stroke, you want them to have the uh-huh. um, memories, you know, return as quickly as possible because it has a higher chance of their recovery. And so I'm talking to him and the nurses are like giving me a bad look. And I'm like, lady, really? Like I'm here and the wife, we don't, haven't seen her. So like, who do you think cares about him more? Like get out of my face anyway. So they were like, okay, well, again, it was like, like, we didn't see you. Okay, fine. Don't sign the paper. Like we didn't see you. And I'm just like, I have to sneak in like to see my own. Anyway, so we see him. Yeah, right. So uh, we sneak in, we're hanging out with him and my brother, Ethan starts playing the soundtrack to Conan. Because that's his favorite soundtrack, that and uh, Big Wednesday, which are both Basil mm-hmm. Polidorus. Um, and uh, he starts playing Conan, and it absolutely registers to my dad because they said when you're recent, you know, you're you're coming out of a stroke right after the first few hours. Like a lot of times, music is more effective than trying to talk to somebody. So we played the Conan soundtrack for him. It was like the scene when they're trying to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sandals trying to revive him with the, with yeah. the, the, the sorcery spirits, and the all red, this stuff. Uh, like, yeah. we're like, come on, Conan. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, come on, dude, you can do it. And uh, luckily he came back and was very, uh, you know, he still has trouble with his speech, but I can carry on a conversation with him like all day long like i just did i was just in california probably why i'm a week or so in california and i just hung out with him for a while so um that was fun and he was um you know in good spirits and uh 
you know, talking about the news and wants to know everything. He's very politically obsessed these days. So, <laughs> well, I do want to get to the politics part of anyway, it too. As that far was as our, uh, the, our, think... our Polidora story, but yeah, they were very. I think there's a bit of a lag that's been going on right now with the connection. I think everybody's able to hear each other right now, though. So there was a uh, bit of a lag, but I think we're back. So I want to also take this conversation to you personally, as far as your inspirations being in politics right now, how you were inspired by, let's say, more of this Conan mindset as far as not having any of these obstacles get in your way, as far as being somebody who, as you said, was hated. And the point that your dad made was that it's important for somebody to be hated because it's something that actually makes you grow stronger as a person. I mean, yeah, that's the that's the number one thing I tell people I, that he taught me, uh, which is when I was like 13, I was complaining about high school and I didn't or whatever. I don't know, junior high, however, whatever you are when you're 13. And I didn't like anything about it. And I was very upset that I had to go to school with these people who were the children of the people that he hated. Right. They're the children of the executives and the agents. I mean, really, the big. Uh -huh big power agents in LA. Like they sent me to private school with these people. I don't know why. I think it was my mom's idea. Uh, I mean, granted, you can't send your kids to public school in uh, Los Angeles because it's, it's just, just totally destroyed at this point. But um, so I go to this high school and I don't get along with any of these people because um, I mean, it, you don't even, you can't even imagine the depths of insanity that I saw in high school. Like every girl gets a nose job when they're 15 years old, 16 years old. Uh, they all have eating disorders. They're all crazy. They're all trying to become actresses. They're all like, I wanted nothing to do with any of it. Like, I just was like, I'll just, you know, do old school bad kid things like sneak out at night and go to parties at rock and roll shows, like, you know, on the wrong side of town or something like that. Like I'll, you know, maybe borrow my parents car when I'm not supposed to or things like that. Like I was not that kind of kid. So I did not get along with these people. Um, I wasn't trying to have like the most fashionable bag. I was, I was like kid, I was causing trouble. Uh, so my dad and I were talking and I was like, why are you sending me to school with these people? You don't even like their parents. Like, I was like, all you do is complain to the press all day long about how you want to like blow up Jeffrey Katzenberg's car. And then you send me to school with these people and their children. Like why, obviously I don't get along with them. Like, why do I have to do this? And he's like, well, it's very important. Actually. He's like, I went to high school in Beverly Hills as well. Remember my dad grew up like on my mom's street. Like we are from the neighborhood. Like it, it's very strange. So my dad gets sent to a boarding school for, you know, uh, bad kids and um, children that will do well in the outdoors. So anyways, they end up sending me to that school. I don't get along there either because I don't want to be in the outdoors. And they do all this stuff where, you know, where they pick you up and they make you go find your way in the middle of the woods. And I was like, would refuse to do it. And I kept running. Anyways, whole thing. My, uh, it's actually odd how many times I've gone to the same school as my dad. Um, but, uh, anyway, so when I'm at this preppy school, um, he tells me it's good for you to learn that, um, you need to enjoy that they don't like you and you need to make them dislike you more. 
And then you need to get um, to the point where you don't care if you're the most hated person in the room, even by the professors, like the teachers, like if you don't agree with them, you should argue with them all the time. And um, if, uh, and if you can start to learn to enjoy that feeling, then you can do anything you want in your life. Because the most important thing in the world is to not be afraid to be the most hated person in the room. Um, and uh, I learned that. I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I just started playing with it. I just started like making it a game, you know, when I went to school. I mean, I think I made it a little bit too much of a game, maybe a little. Um, but uh, I took that with me everywhere. And then I... I, I find it so hard to deal with people who don't behave that way. So when I was at State Department um, for the Trump administration, of course, I was like, I loved it. I was like, I was like, cool Iran deal. Like, guess what's going to happen to that? Like, 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 yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. Like, uh, we're not like anything controversial. I was like very happy to be like at the head of or like have anything to do with because I didn't care if they hated me. I don't care about these people. I don't, I'm here to do a policy. I'm not here to make friends. And everybody, I swear, like a lot of the other appointees, they'd be like, well, I mean, the, the secretary, I'll just tell you, Mike Pompeo did not want to be disliked by that building. That is a, that's a no-no for me. Like if I could redesign an administration in my own design, uh, the secretary would have to have absolutely no concern whether or not they upset the building. This was, a, this was something I was tweeting about the other day. Of course, they they refer to it always as like, well, we can't upset the building because it's not like one person. It's like this ghost ship blob of a, like U.S. foreign policy and and particularly diplomacy, which is just this dead ghost ship that nobody knows what it's doing. It has no goal. It's just floating around spending money. It, there's, it, it's just a disaster. Uh, and um, the fact that we didn't have enough people who were willing to just like, just be like, nah, I, I don't really care what you think. We're not doing that. Or, you know, or we are doing X or Y or whatever. Like, it's very important in politics to not care what anybody thinks. And that's, rare because you think of politicians you think of people who like very much care what everybody thinks like they never want to make a misstep because they, they need patrons their... they need to be indebted to somebody in order to get ahead we somewhere we can't have that anymore we don't i mean the, we can't have that anymore you either have the the love of the people i mean we're in a very roman uh like speak about my my dad's my dad's work Rome, which was my like maybe my second favorite thing, uh, or in a very I, Roman time where you have the love of the people or the love of the elite, and I, we need the love of the people. I don't care about the elite. Like I, I mean, you see, but, what but in, the way, in the way I see, that's what could attract you to somebody. You don't want to be Mr. Armchair Psychologist over here. But I see a real similarity, let's say, between Donald Trump and yourself, as far as somebody who is, you could say, energized more by the hatred that he gets than by the love that he gets and that 
ends up making him way more popular. I bet if it wasn't for the mugshot right now, if it wasn't for the attention that they would have been paying to him, I think he would have been kind of forgotten right now. And I do remember there was this gap of time where, you know, they wheeled out some golden statue of him, of like uh, Trump with like a magic wand. You know, nobody really paid that much attention. I don't know. It was like there, then it went away. But it wasn't in the air. I love it, dude. I love it. Because you know what? I love chaos. And I love, I love eccentricity and Trump has it all. And I love his boldness. And you're right. I love the fact that he doesn't care that anybody hates him because he knows that more people love him. And I, I, you know what? It might be really close to a dad thing. And I've said this on other podcasts because people will be like, well, how do you, how do you uh, square the fact that he's done things that you don't agree with? Because there are some things that, I'm not happy about like, I don't like the secretary of state I had to work for. I don't like a lot of the secretaries in that cabinet. I don't like the vice president and anybody that worked in his office. Uh, I don't like that. We didn't complete the wall. I don't like that certain um, uh, pardons were not signed. Um, There's a long, the personnel office wasn't changed correctly until the final year. Okay. Like I was already gone by then. I had to battle it out with like the Kacha Bullock team. Um, so there's plenty that I had a problem with, but I still support him. And you could say I learned that kind of, you can have two thoughts at the same time, uh, you know, from my dad, which is that like, okay, he's not the greatest like traditional dad in the world. He's not going to come to your, your softball game. He's not going to come to your dance recital. Sometimes he's totally going to forget to pick you up from school. Sometimes he's going to send his assistant with his ID to pick you up from juvenile hall. Sometimes he's going to do crazy ass shit, like give you a bunch of like explosive to play, explosives to play with with your brothers so that you get out of his hair while he's busy writing something. I don't care. Like my brothers took a lot longer to come, you know, around to being like, okay, it's dad. He's going to behave like this. Some of the stuff he does is going to be kind of crazy. You know, my one brother's got to realize you can't bring your kids over to his house. Cause there's, there's guns like everywhere. And like, I don't know if they're loaded. Like I, I like, I don't know. Like there's just stuff. Every, who knows what's in his house. Um, we've had to battle it out with a lot of really crappy ex-wives and uh, a couple of really bad girlfriends and um, you know, very Hollywoodish stuff. And uh, we've had to do we've had to deal with a lot of stuff that that, that a lot of families would like wash their hands of someone. Um, there's been financial issues that have happened because of his sort of, you know, he grew up like, honestly, he'll tell you he's a, a he, he was a mountain man. He was a mountain man in Bel Air. Like, like, <laughs> sure. OK. Like, I mean, it, there's a lot of exaggeration going on. You can never get the truth. You ask him, how, oh, how did this happen? You never know what is actually real, what is not, whatever. I love, how lucky am I though? It's like, you know, I'm raised by a genius. It's very exciting. He did really fun things. He's a very entertaining, incredible storyteller. I learned things from him that I could never learn anywhere else. Why am I going to, I'm going to like be, Anybody, if they're still whining about their parents and they're not 20 years old, it's like, just no, like you got, you got to just get over it. So I think my ability to be like, okay, yes, dad made some decisions that were not so good. 
for the family. <laughs> they made some pretty bad decisions yeah. well, here and there. You but know, I, like I guess the difference is that the, US... the difference that dad making bad decisions only affects the family. Trump or another president making bad decisions ends up affecting a lot more. So the question here, yeah. whether whether or not you like Trump, hate Trump, what I'm getting to, though, is more of this idea that you talked about before of choosing between the elites and the people. And when there's no mm -hmm. filter between you and the people, like when you sidestep any kind of system in order to go right to the people, the question is, does it not become a loop does it not become in a way a wheel of pain that now the conans of the world have to wheel themselves around as we get ourselves to the point where like kind of what the opposite of my stream is because the reason why i brought you uh, together with daniele here is because i know you guys are very different uh, points of view when it comes to trump when it comes to i'd say some like nationalism even though i bet that you guys could agree on a whole lot when it comes to like the bare essentials of what exactly are we living for what kind of yeah, yeah, what kind of conditions we want our families to live on and so forth. But the thing that kind of gets to me is when we're talking about uh, harnessing this Conan-like mindset, not for the individual, but for the collective, what exactly would a America being made great again look like for you? And how exactly do you define great? And I think that could be like a good point to start off from. But then also, I would love to get to, in fact, let's actually start from Daniela over here. So Daniele, when you hear the phrase America, make America great again, let's take away like some of like the obvious canards, which you know, talk about like racist, KKK, yada, yada, that's like a dead horse. I want to talk much more as far as actual like, you could say dangerous or troublesome things having to do with just like the actual policy of having somebody who sidesteps the elites and goes right to the people in order to make improvements because that's the kind well, of wait, energy how, that get yes well wait how does racism and no no um, that's the point that's not those are dead horses those are things that the left those are things that the left has been trudging out as far as you know trump go away racist kkk no let's take away all that that's that's boring yeah that's okay. boring stuff. So that's like why I'm Daniel, saying, like, it's not Daniel, one of these. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, it's not one of those things where you know, like people, especially like you know, like the Stephen Colberts of the world, they love trudging out all these dead, tired arguments. And I'm not all about that because I definitely understand that when it comes to border control, when it comes to having a high trust society, all these things are very important. The question is, though, when you have somebody who's in charge who is able to sidestep certain institutions, what are certain troublesome things that end up happening there? That's the deeper conversation rather than all of this uh, cotton candy that the late night talk show hosts talk about. So, Daniele, I know if you have any thoughts related to like that kind of management of power over here and whether we're talking about somebody like Trump or somebody else who would be more of a populist nationalist figure, what kind of worries you when it comes to that? Um... I guess I'm in elite spot because I don't like the elites. I don't like the people either. I don't like any <laughs> large group of people on any level. You know, it's like on an individual level, I can get along for pretty much any human being on earth. But on a group level, I don't like any of them. I, I don't like one group. I don't like the opposite. I don't like a nation. I don't like an organized religion. I don't like... To me, it's like I do find, uh, and if anything, you know, in the whole Conan thing, what's fantastic is the, talk about an individualistic movie, you know, there's like, it's all about the individual 
transcending all the bullshit surrounding it, right? I don't think it's a chance that the bad guys in the movie are essentially a religious cult. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. And that's where people are desperately sacrificing individuality in the name of buying into some identity, some collective identity. I'm allergic to all collective identities, including the ones that on the surface I'll be like, ah, oh, that's actually not that bad. I still feel that the trade-off when there's any kind of uh, collective identity is dangerous um, and it can go to unhealthy places. So I think I'm a bad candidate for anything that requires me to think on a level, on an organized level, uh, whether political or religious or anything, which inevitably requires organization. Because, you know, it's like in tribal societies, in a small-scale society where we are a face-to-face community, we can talk to each other, look each other in the eyes and make decisions in that fashion. And, you know, there's something exchanging that direct communication that can get us places. Anytime you're talking about mass numbers of people, it doesn't work that way anymore. And now you have to work through organization. Now you have to work through groups. Now you have to work through representatives. Now you, And to me, the problem is that, yeah, of course, some people are going to be better than others. Some philosophies are going to be better than others. I'm not trying to say they're all the same. But uh, I do feel that the potential for good things to emerge after going through all those filters is uh, severely limited, to say the least. So that's, I think, is, and granted, what I'm saying right now, it's sort of a cynical viewpoint, because it's like, well, okay, that's, sure, maybe you're right, who cares? But the point is, what do we do next? Because you cannot just be like, oh, screw it all, it all sucks. That's not, you don't build anything based on that. And I get it, you know, so I'm, I'm taking a very easy way out in that fashion. I do feel, though, that um, I think my mindset is uh, what's the least crappy outcome we can come up with more than I'm thinking there's something that I strongly believe in that's going to be beautiful that emerges from this. Because I don't think anything beautiful come out from any political movement or any mass uh, or any mass uh, religious organization or anything of that sort. Again, I find beauty in individuals. I rarely ever find beauty in mass movements. Well, if we're trying to be weather forecasters here and talk about a mass populist movement where a lot of the gripes that the people, and I think a lot of them rightly so, have about what's going on in this country ends up bringing whether it's Trump or somebody else who's uh, tapping into that kind of energy, what do you see as being the possible negative ramification? But is that negative ramification in a way even worth it? Like, is that the least crappy of all things that could happen when the other side is even worse or is it, right? You know, like that's kind of like what we're trying to figure out here, you know, seeing like the Biden admin and how old a lot of those people are. And like Amanda was talking about how you have like this blob where you don't even have Alice and Alan Dulles. Like I'm reading today, David Talbot's the uh, devil's chessboard. And I'm kind of digging this dude, you know, like he was an operator. Yeah. I, one of my one of my top top books i i reread it frequently because i think it's really there's a big change in our country that happened at that point very important mm-hmm. book very important book but uh I, i'll let daniele finish but before i while i'm interrupting <laughs> I, I uh i i i gotta say i i i just think he said something you know i I don't find a disagreement there. I think he spoke beautifully about something that I absolutely agree with. I don't know 
that we disagree. I think, uh, um, especially if you're going to talk about Conan as like an individualist movie uh, over all of these collectivist ideas. Um, I just, it was just super well said. And um, that's how I view it. I think that's how my dad viewed it. Um, and I remember I, I accidentally, I swear to God, I accidentally like repeated the plot with my thesis film because okay. the whole point of my thesis film was about this individuality, uh, individualist lifestyle versus that of the communal lifestyle. And I hadn't watched Conan in a really long time. And I'm editing the movie and I'm like, and, and like I realizing like the, the end, they're like this, this like hippie commune. And I'm like, holy shit, did I just <laughs> accidentally make like girl Conan? <laughs> That's he, has like, he has like a gun instead of a sword. And I'm like, right. oh my God, did I, did I do this? Like, and I'm like, oh no. Wait, was, was the hippie commune, was what that the it? snake cult or? Uh, or it or wasn't a snake good- cult. I am I am wearing all of my snake jewelry for you guys nice. because I've had um, because of Conan. There's actually multiple things in my life that have made me obsessed with snake jewelry, and I think it's actually very um, um, symbolic. And uh, I'm it's not also there's like 80 different reasons, like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton with Bulgari. There's um, uh kobe bryant and the mamba mentality but it all began when i was a kid watching conan the barbarian with the snake cult jewelry and the way that the diamonds and the things and the snake would would uh hypnotize the women uh and uh and and arnold saying in the in the commentary and of course already the women they're hypnotized by the jewelry i was like yeah it's it's true it's true but sorry, let me let you continue on the political bent. But I have to say, I think he spoke beautifully about that. I don't think I disagree at all. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Amanda. Deeply appreciated. Yeah, I think to me is, uh, yeah, the whole collectivist thing, I think is when it gets to, I think there are two different levels. You know, if we're talking about community at uh, face-to-face community, those are things I strongly believe in. You know, a family, a small-scale yeah. tribe, something where... You're talking about 20, 30, 50, 100. The number of people you can keep track to and know their life story and know what makes them, you know, that's a real community to me. And the the lack of that is, I think, killing us in a lot of ways. You know, the fact that we have been moving away from that progressively more is at the roots of a ton of the problems that we deal with, from mental health to everything else. Yes, the, the problem is that in a society like ours, where we don't live in the small scale community, we live in this larger, we have to make up communities that are a poor substitute for their very real human experience. You know, when you talk about whether it's a giant church or a nation or something, those are abstract actions you know they are not real communities the same way as an extended family is or an extended family of your choices and that's where i feel that things uh, you know we have to figure out like i'm interested almost anthropologically in figuring out can we design a society where we do have both the really small scale and extremely large scale because obviously some problems cannot be addressed uh, just in your backyard or in your neighborhood um, but I feel that we need both, you know, because on a human level, you need that community. I think the fact that we are, you know, mental health issues, suicide rates of antidepressant use is climbing like crazy is directly tied. It's not the only reason, of course, but it's directly tied to lack of community. 
and at the same time figure out okay that's a real community what else can we do on a on a larger scale and in that regard that's where i think the least we are ideologically driven the better it is because to me it's like the fact that i have to agree with somebody because they are on my same side but on an issue where i think no you're a dumbass how can you say something that's stupid it's terrible. It's like, why are we playing this game? Like, I, I don't want to, I, I want to choose issue by issue, you know, mm. on each issue, figure out who are my allies in, on that particular issue. And on the next one, we may be completely at odds and that's fine. But, you know, getting to make choices on a case by case scenario, as opposed to, oh, you have a certain stance on global warming. So I have to agree to with your stance on abortion and I have to agree with your stance. It's like, those are totally different things. I don't, but of course, you know, the way any system is built is built on creating coalitions, is built on yeah. creating, and of course, having some vaguely consistent ideology helps to build an identity, to build a coalition, and all that stuff. Uh, I see why it's convenient. I also see it how it's horrendously damaging to, to get any good decisions being made. Well, there's two things you were talking about. Number one, there is making some, let's say, laws or doing some kind of programs, whatever, that could potentially help the situation. Probably not. I think it does come down to individuals trying to figure out maybe it comes down to religion, things of that nature. But the second thing, which I think is even more important, is are there certain things that also need to be gotten rid of as opposed to added into the equation? Mm -hmm. So... I guess the analogy I would use is some people, I wouldn't say I'm one of them, at least not right now, but some people would make the analogy of there being some crazy dude who's high on bath salts who's running right at you. And the question is, do you have time to negotiate? Do you have time to do anything other than to defend yourself from this crazy dude on bath salts? And that's, I think, the position that a lot of people feel they're in right now. The only problem is that people have felt that way in Weimar, Germany. People have felt that way in other parts of the world where they thought, you know what, it's either do or die right now. And if we don't get this person in and get rid of so-and-so, then it's going to be an existential crisis for our, for our entire world here. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Are we in the system right now, Amanda, you think, where, at least in the United States, we've got certain things that are in the mode of being existential, uh, like an existential crisis, things that makes you think like, okay, like bipartisanly, I'm not talking about looking at something where you have to like sit with Daniele and myself for like a week and like go through, you know, all these different ideas and theories. I'm talking about like the clearest cut bipartisan stuff. What would you say if there are any examples that you can give of things that would make mm -hmm. us think that, okay, this is like an incredibly dire situation and this has to be gotten rid of and this has to be gotten rid of and this is how we do it? Well, I I got to say I'm very in line. I, I Danielle's almost got this I got to say somewhat European look at this and you're not wrong. Um and it's something that I think Americans have secretly yearned for for a long time, which is the ability to not have to be on this side or this side, the bipartisan, the um, two party system in our country, I have argued now for 
whatever, as long as I've been in politics, which is not that long, it's like, what, like six years or something ever since the Trump administration has been the worst thing for the United States. It's a uni party. It's not two parties. They want the same things. It's a game. It's just a distraction. And it's made to make us hate each other and then be distracted by the fact that everybody, you know, at the top actually just gets what they want every time. And there are all of these different issues that are important to people's lives that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. As you say, why does my opinion on my, my, I'm such a dork that for fun, I am in, interested in foreign policy like that's why i worked at state department i really like you know foreign affairs foreign policy why is that why is my why are my opinions on foreign policy i find this actually a lot when i where i live uh when i meet people outside of politics which thank god now most of my friends are not involved in politics um and they're like oh but i don't like republicans like blah 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 and i'm like well, why and they're like well and they list all these domestic issues you know fine there are issues like um gay rights and all this stuff that I'm like, I have more gay friends than you do. It's the only friends I have actually. <laughs> like, and it's like, so like, it's just, it's not your, it, to me, the thing is I'm like, well, okay. It's not your parents Republican party anymore because to me, the Democrat, I'm going to say the Democrat side has not gotten with the program. Whereas like, at least with the, with the, giant push of 2016 that was Trump. We got rid of so many of the old 1980s ideas of what a Republican was. And it really came down to focusing on uh, getting rid of useless wars, which I thought was a Democrat idea, right? When I was growing up, that was considered uh, a Kennedy Democrat idea. So that became our rallying cry. We were like the anti-war side of the Republican Party, which I think a lot of people didn't understand. And you know what? It's it's not exactly their fault that they didn't understand that because it wasn't communicated very well. Um, and it's one of the things I constantly go on about, about the right cannot communicate. It drives me insane because, of course, I grew up as an artist. I grew up in a family of artists and I grew up uh, basically going to communication school. I mean, film school is communication school. So it drives me crazy the way that they can't do that. It's very easy to communicate the ideas that we have that are good. Um, now, okay, so then you get some domestic issues that maybe I do have a difference with some of these people about, right? Like maybe on abortion, as you say, or some of these religious ideas, because I am a little bit more religious than your average person running around. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually... I, I don't know that that's true. The friends that I have out here have never worked in politics and they're just as religious as I am. They just happen to be, you know, Christians or maybe some of them are Muslims and some of them are like all different kinds of things. It's just that they have a very God based way of living their life. And that's great. I'm fine with that. Like um, to what uh, Lev was saying, the you've you've got the bath salts guy coming at you. You don't have time to make a decision on all of these finer finer points, yeah. and we don't have time to coalesce and make co coalitions around these smaller ideas. Which I wish we did because I actually think that is correct. I think we all feel that way. I don't think I I, I just I really feel like we. I haven't met anyone that doesn't feel that way. I'll just put it that way. I haven't met anyone who's like I just go with the flow of whatever party I'm with because that's the party. And it's like everyone all, even down to my, the, the few Democrat friends I have that'll still talk to me. 
we agree on like so many things that we're like, we should do a podcast. We should do something together. We agree on so many things, you know, and I'm like, no, this is everybody. Um, and, uh, and, and what I'll say on the, okay, we have what the, the decision of like, I got to just go with my side because I have to draw a line in the sand. Okay. The line that I'm drawing in the sand is for me, it's, do you believe in God? You're on my side in any way that can be what I, I believe that if you have a, a spiritually sound life and soul that you are genuinely going to be a better person than if you don't, than if you believe that there is nothing. I don't condemn people who believe that there is nothing and no, no anything, but I would much rather be on the same side as someone who believes in something like the spirit of the universe or whatever it is. I'm Jewish. I believe in Old Testament God. So I take it really seriously. <laughs> like that's some serious stuff. I was get, talking to some people on Twitter about tattoos the other day. And I was like, but you got, you go against the Old Testament if you want to. I was like, have you read it? scares the living shit out of you um but so, uh, so many laws that have to be obeyed there it was like 600 was like, or i'll tell you what else i won't do i will not attempt to have uh sexual relations with anyone's slave before i offer to buy them if that situation <laughs> arises i will that not seems like a solid principle right I'm, like, a... I'm not getting any tattoos and yeah. i'm not I'm not sleeping with anybody's slaves unless i first offer to purchase whatever I'm good. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay on the good side of that as much as I can. Um, but I, I don't know that I do that well, but the point is, is that like, I don't need everyone to have the same religion as me. I have most of my team, the people I work with, everybody's Catholic, uh, evangelical, uh, whatever. Like I said, my best friend and uh, like, uh, Jewish Muslim family with the, uh, like it's, it's, all that is good. Okay. So my line, one of my lines in the sand is, do you believe in God? And when I say God, do you have a spiritually healthy life? Okay. Like, do you believe in right and wrong, like across the board? Um, so that's where you will find me on the other side of, uh, certain domestic issues like abortion, um, and things like that, because that's just where I stand. Um, like at the same time, you know, it's not so much like, okay, I'm not going to get a tattoo because I'm told in my religion, I am not getting a tattoo. Does that mean I'm not friends with people who have tattoos or something like that? I mean, it's just, that's not, that's not, a, I, no, I don't, I don't. No, but that's, that's where, to... that's where you send personally. But the question is, how would you be able to mandate something on the grander scale if we're talking about states or if we're talking about the federal well, okay, government so, let me get to, so what we're all yeah. the, the second okay so there's one line there which is the god line the other line is do you want to put my friends my family and myself in a gulag or not if you don't we're good if you do i have a problem with you so that's where i get to the political side of it so um being Jewish, I suppose, and uh, being a person who likes freedom, living my life, uh, doing what I want to do when I want to do it, like smoking cigarettes uh, outside the airport and uh, um, whatever, you know, like, 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 like I have a very leave me alone attitude because I have an unusual life. And that's just sort of how I've grown up to be is to be allowed to have an unusual life. Um, so I, uh, 
would say that that was that's the other line is um, I'm seeing a lot of people that want to put my friends, my family and myself in a gulag. And I'm not I got to draw the line there. I'm sorry. But like if you're OK with the DOJ the way it is right now, and I'm even talking about the DOJ that was operating when my, when my government, my president, whatever, was in office, it was just as bad, okay? And it was a fault of ours to not deal with that. Uh, obviously, you know, the movie I made mm-hmm. is about Russiagate. Plot, plot against the president. Plot against the president, uh, very much about Russiagate and disproving it. And I don't know what Durham was doing for four years because I finished that movie four years before he did. And I'm he probably got paid a lot more than I did. I don't know what he, he, what he was doing. But anyways, everything that was in his report is in the movie. So um, but uh, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, OK, this isn't the country that we said we were living in. I was willing to play by the rules that I was taught when I was growing up. And I think we all were right. Like it was like, okay, America is a republic, and it has representatives, and you vote for your representatives, and then they do. They come to Washington D.C. They do this and they do that, and it's like a bipartisan thing. That's all bullshit. That's just total, complete bullshit. The people have absolutely no voice. The institutions are so corrupt. And this is what I would beg of Democrats. I would say, do you want to live in a world where they can do this? Because eventually Republicans will come back in power and I don't know who they're going to be. I don't know that they're going to be fair. I don't know anything about what's going to happen in the future. Do you want a country where you can have people brought up on fake uh, charges and have an entire country under the fake um, illusion that a president is a foreign asset when they're not and have that completely, completely destroy the gears of uh of um, how these institutions work from the State Department to DOD, absolutely putting our uh, national security at risk. Um, so many, so much damage was done. Also, talk about um, polarizing the populace. You can't, it, it, before 2016, you could have friends that were on the other side. And you just didn't talk about it or you just didn't care. You talked about other things. You talked about like art, movies, whatever, like things that like, you know, I I don't know, just whatever you did with your life. Like it wasn't the biggest point in everybody's day. Now everyone's a political expert. Everybody's like a, everyone's like a, everyone's a foreign policy expert apparently too. Everybody's an expert on every, everything that happens. Like, I guess that's social media. It's, it's a lot of things that happened, but it's, um, I, I am old enough to remember before 2016, and it wasn't like this. And I, um, being that the media is majority, uh, I mean, absolutely. I don't know if you're going to disagree with me, but it is 110% controlled by the intel community, and it's 110% Democrat leaning. Um, the media has done a terrible disservice to this country. Um, if you look at foreign media, if you look at um, alternative media, if you look at whatever, they've made it so that we can't agree on what the truth is, Mm -hmm. which is very scary because then you can convince people of anything Mm. and, and you have no, you will never come to an agreement. You can find people and you, you know, when you start talking to them, we're like, we're not going to agree. And there's no, there's no way there's no getting around it. I, I could, I could provide whatever evidence, 
they could do the same for me. And I'm like, I just, you get that feeling and you're like, it's such a, it's sad because you're like, we just, we can't talk about this. We're not going to agree. There, so there's, that's my answer to your, your bath salts. Well, there's a, there's what, yeah, yeah. The crazy bath salt guy. There is one thing that I would want to add to it before uh, you and Daniele respond, which is I would say the version of the bath salts guy that is even more uh, relatable to that kind of uh, do or die situation is what you would experience in Russia. And the reason why I would say is I'm from Russia. I was born in St. Petersburg. My family has a lot of history there as far as the things that were going down back in the day. And in Russia, like you were talking about Trump and things that are going on, which, you know, aren't great, but they are going on, you could say, between different mafias as opposed to going on to civilians. And I'm not saying this 100%. I'm just saying, like, the bigger picture that somebody would get when they're watching the news is, okay, this thing is happening to this politician, to that politician. In Russia, things that happen have to do with, like, for example, if you run a business and your business happens to be, you know, kind of more or less successful – Anybody who has connections to the government can go and take your business away. They can also go in and, you know, have their way with your woman, even, you know, do horrible things to you. And they're not going to get persecuted if they know the right people. There's no lawyers that are going to be able to help you out if you get right into the face of somebody who is that connected. And that is you not something not that I've experienced in America so far. So far, I've well, not experienced that. How do you that. not see that in the United States? How do you – we just today – there was a woman tweeting. I forget what her name is. I won't open my phone. She tweets about Hunter Biden getting uh, an indictment for having unregistered guns on crack. She yes. writes how many I don't I don't understand how many people have been federally charged for for um, weapons infractions when they're dealing with substance abuse issues. And I was like, substance abuse issues. Now, that is a hell of a way of putting buying guns on crack. Like there's plenty of people in this country that I would say would, especially in the minority community would tell you they don't get that kind of treatment when they buy guns on crack. That's not, that's not how the media phrases it. Like there the, are special people. That sure. Get the, the one difference I would say is that that woman, if she was writing that in Russia, she'd get arrested by the government and she'd get seven no, no, years in jail she, for writing. On, no, I'm saying she's on the same side as the government. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What you're what you're what you're describing to me is the situation that I see when the FBI raids Roger Stone, uh, Trump for mm. bullshit. Like, uh, you, did you move a box in the thing? Like, uh, the man's the president; he can declassify anything he wants. Um, the uh, the the um, various impeachments over the phone call when Hunter Biden is making actual deals with Ukraine, where they impeach the president over a phone call. Like, uh, this is what I'm saying is that I agree with you. I'm just saying that that's the side that I see getting the special Putin-esque, Putin and friends yeah. uh, protection. I see that as the Democrats. Well, you're not going to get any, let's say, disagreement out of me when it comes to that. In fact, later on, I would love you to meet a friend of mine who's in Kiev right now, Vlad Davidson, whose name you can look up in the official Wikipedia of Hunter Biden. He thinks that Hunter Biden is an absolute degenerate piece of shit, filth, and he would definitely say that to your face. And at the same time, he is somebody who very much supports Ukraine. So the reason why I'm saying that is I think that within these conversations, there's a lot more nuance. 
I mm-hmm. misphrased when I said it because when you were talking about that lady, what I meant to say was that if she was talking about the other side of it, if she was criticizing mm-hmm. Hunter Biden, if she was, let's say in your right. position, if you would write something negative against the government, then you would be thrown in a gulag in Russia or like this guy who was helping this woman out who was protesting and getting beat up by the police. This old guy, like in his 50s, he helped the woman out, got into a gulag, became like a political prisoner, then got into another gulag as soon as he was free his back was broken by a guard and he recently died at like 66 years old so that's the example of things i'm really worried about that like yeah freaks me out like i come from a long line of people who know when it's time to get the heck out and i am having that spidey sense feeling i don't feel very good about like i like these republicans that run around and they're like but that's not constitutional I'm not going to waive my pocket constitution. (laughs) The feds come with the white van and the thing to put over my head and drive me away somewhere. I don't think it's going to save me. They think there's very few things that are going to save me. And I have, I I mean, we just saw, we've we've seen people, okay, whatever you think about January 6th, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because I wasn't there. I don't have, uh, we don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. But what I will say is you can't possibly tell me that some of these sentences, that any of these sentences are correct for the actions that these people were doing on that day. If you compare them to the actions that were being done that summer by the BLM protests and all, all of the, the summer of fire. And I have to say, you have to take away maybe one or some of us are more partial to the reasons of these protesters than another. You can't really look at that. You have to look at their actions, the damage, and what actually happened for the law to be applied equally, right? I mean, that was what America was built on. This is why I'm I'm kind of at the bath salts moment that you described, Mm -hmm. is that When I started in D.C., when I started in politics, I still believed that the Constitution was how we were run. I still believed that, like, the law eventually comes. Eventually, you can get to the right level of the law where it it makes the right decision. I don't believe that anymore. And it was after 2020 that I don't believe that anymore, you know, and um I think that that's where I start to agree with Daniele on this very dark. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I, I, I don't I don't want to bum out your audience, but I have a very black pilled way of looking at things right now. And um, I, I see actually getting back down into these smaller communities and into um, sorry, we have a guest. Yoko, Yoko, the cat. Everybody, there's no podcast I do that doesn't have. Yoko, the neocon cat. Don't forget, Yoko, <laughs> neocon cat. When when uh, when Nord Stream two happened, I was like, uh huh. I know, yeah, I know. Her, her doing, was, yeah, yeah. Now, the there was, turn around it, and not butt in my face while i'm in the middle of a podcast but now, anyway. now there is there is one thing that i would quickly say and then i definitely want to go to daniele one yeah. thing i would quickly say is kind of a retort i always want to keep in mind for myself and you're know, like we're all the same uh, generation here all daniele a little bit a little bit older and wiser but uh i always want to assume that 
I was born, I was literally born yesterday, and we were born yesterday, and there were so many other things that have gone on in the history of the United States going back to the I like 60s. I assume that, too. That's, I tell people that all yeah. the time. Like, going back to the amount of rioting and bloodshed and all this kind of stuff that was going on back then, which makes me think, like, you know, even recently, like, the 1990s Los Angeles riots that were going on, you know, where they had to bring out the tanks and you had the roof Koreans, so it's like... Roof have, Koreans! Yes, exactly. So when you have all of these things that have been going on and when you can speak to somebody like i know people who are close to me who say like yeah of course the cia is going to be a bunch of killers but you have to weigh everything with what else is going on in the world in order to actually see like okay where exactly are we in relation to the gulags because there are examples like i gave you of russia where if you if you actually make a facebook or whatever post you know not facebook but uh, whatever they use and Dang. say something bad about the government you're going to the gulags that's the way that it works so we already have like an example of a threshold that we got to reach and the question is where are we in relation to it you say we're closer but then when i take a look at history and take a look at the 60s and where we had like the ussr that was funding a lot of money into destroying the united states at that point so my question is like are we really where we think we are when it comes to the gulags and that's why i just want to look back in history and kind of reassess it i'm not saying you're wrong but i really want to figure out where exactly we are we play with that okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop i'm just saying I, like it's the same thing as like the the uh the, the, we used to be afraid of atomic uh bomb uh uh you know hydrogen hydrogen war like uh uh that used to be something that we were like that the united states was like fearful of from like the the 40s up to the 90s that was a fear and then all of a sudden it was like nah let's just get into it with russia you know let's just let's go let's just go and i'm like whoa 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 didn't we have an issue where we were like let's maybe nuclear war is not like something we want like it's the same kind of feeling i have when you talk about the gulags thing we're like well well maybe we're not so close to the gulags like again as a jew i'm like i don't really want to find out i don't like i do we have to find out Can i think just, no just, i think we do have to find out not even not even for the sake of ourselves but for the sake of others i right. really think that people who are not yeah who are not in tune with what's going on right now we should actually just sit down and i don't know make a spreadsheet or whatever and say okay these are the things these are the best case yeah the best the, the base best cases i have for saying that the following has to be stopped uh, whatever else we do, we must stop this, this, and this. So anyway, Daniele, what say you about I'll this particular situation, like figuring out whether we're closer or further away from the gulags here? I mean, one of the problems with that is that anytime, because uh, the human mind is so black and white, you know, anytime, you know, everybody gets raised with the whatever country you live in, your country is the greatest country on earth, a symbol of everything that's good. And then when you find out that, oh, damn, there's this thing that happened and that thing that happened, and that thing that happened. Oh, man, all this stuff is fucked up. It's not like what I was told. And then people flip the switch and then it's like, oh, then it's the worst country in the world. Every mm -hmm. evil that ever happened, it's because of my government. And it's like, yeah, to a point, but no to another, you know, and it's more complicated because, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're, in that sense, I agree with you that if you're saying like how... Is there a ton of horrendous stuff in US today? Is there a ton of horrendous stuff that the US government has been responsible for historically and right now? Yeah, 100%. Terrible. 
when you compare it to yeah communist china or the soviet union or something you're like okay you know bad but not quite there you know and again i agree with amanda too that is like quite there doesn't mean that then you pat yourself on the back and say okay we're not the absolute worst in the world we don't kill everybody who say the wrong word every day we only do it once in a while then we should be okay it's like no of course that's not the idea um so i do get it that yes just because you're saying this is not the worst possible scenario ever it doesn't mean that then oh you we should ignore it and everything is hunky-dory and it's fine both positions make perfect sense and in that sense uh, again i don't think you guys are saying different things you're both right you know they both make absolute sense in that regard the question becomes, yeah, in a situation in which you don't trust any of the institutions because you feel that all the institutions involved to do something about it are hopelessly corrupt, how do you go about changing things? You know, how do you go about, because uh, again, things that happen at the, within your arms reach, you know, in your family, in your neighborhood, in, those are a little easier to address because you do have agency, you do have some power to affect those things. When you talk about global things, or even just at the national level, they are so large that inevitably they go through the very like any change. Most of the time, there are exceptions, of course, but most of the time, change would have to go through those institutions that are the very problem that we're trying to address, and that becomes that catch twenty two, where it's like, huh. How do you go about solving that where the tools that normally are the ones considered that would be used to solve it are at the roots of the problem? And that's where, man, I wish I had the answer to that, because if I had the answer to that, I could fix a lot of things right now. But I don't. You know, that's well, the reality. I can see the situation. I can analyze it. Doesn't mean I well, would know you, what you to don't do have the it. answer how, but do you have the answer what? Because we can't even agree on that for the most part when it comes to America. Because, like, we're talking about all these different institutions and all these different people. But as far as which are the specific people that are the closest to being able to throw us in the gulag and what would be their justifications down the road? Because, like, Amanda, like, I right. agree with you. It could yeah, definitely yeah, happen. DOJ and all of their... Uh... Okay, so closest thing, closest thing that I recall was there was that issue of the school boards when mm-hmm. the Bangry parents were going to the school boards. I the school board during the con- congressional hearing, and and then finally Matt Gates got the guy to say, "So were you or were you not writing down the the license plate numbers of people who were in the parking lot?" And he was like, "I was on the job assigned to write down the license plate numbers of the people who are at the school board meetings." Yes, that's a great example. And, and for those who are not aware of what exactly that was, we had these uh, parents that were very angry about uh, things related to COVID, things related to certain left-leaning things that were being taught in schools that they didn't approve of. Their sexual, kids being ta- sex, yeah. sex, sexual content being taught to children like 10 years old and, and younger. Yeah, with I like, feel tra- like trap-ons and things like that, yeah. Thing, like like I, I feel like we all kind of agree here. It's like once they're 18 or whatever, like you can get tattoos, you can read dirty novels, you can do whatever. In fact, most kids probably get a hold of a Playboy when they were 16 back in 1950, whatever. Wait, when they were 16? No, wait, way younger than 16. But I, okay, I, well, I whatever. <laughs> I wasn't. This was not my. This wasn't my world. But I'm just saying. Clearly, it didn't destroy, yeah. destroy civilization yeah. to have kids be curious at a. At a yeah. No, I saw clock, I saw Clockwork Orange when I was like super super young. Oh, we all did. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, my, my but, house was a disaster. Don't no, even get but, me started. But it's like, but just uh, but, just as a quick aside, though, the fact that yeah. we saw things that were like good taste, like they were high quality cinema, I think that also has something to do with it. I know it's kind of not something that people think about when they talk about a lot of like the woke, critical uh, race theory, gender theory stuff, but I find a lot of it to be actually like tasteless as far as how the drawings are done, how the designs <laughs> are, you know, like it's all like these weird blob people. You know what I mean? Like they don't have any sense of harmony. They don't have any sense of design. Uh, uh, the the most uh, thing I shouldn't have seen when I saw at a young age because my parents were never home and there was videotapes everywhere because we were a member of the academy. So every year they sent the boxes of videos or DVDs or whatever to the house. So when I was like really, really little, I saw um, what's the very famous Sharon Stone um no, the one with the legs. Yeah. Uh, indecent yeah. exposure. No, 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 the other no, no, that one. Are you going to arrest me for smoking? basic instinct? Yeah, basic yeah, instinct. Yeah, yeah. Basic instinct. So basic instinct yeah, was like yeah. floating around my house, you know. And yeah. so I was like, "Well, my parents watched this, so I'm checking yeah. this out." And I was like, "Okay, so that's how adults interact." Okay, so that's not so good. But like, you know, like he, like, like Danielle is sneaking into Conan. I mean, I'd already seen all my dad's movies, like. Yeah. Of course, like there's like a plenty of sex and weird shit going on in those. I mean, uh, so so, yeah, I, I would say the taste thing actually is a very interesting point that I haven't heard brought up recently. But uh, let me let you continue. Sorry. No. Oh, just a quick other aside on the taste thing is that you could find a lot of people today from uh, the more very online part of Twitter who are into art illustration things like that they point out that there's like this tumblrization that has gone on with art when it comes to all of these very you know they're not drawn badly like they know how to draw the human body they know how to draw anatomy but they look like these cookie cutter you know sjw-ish designs that have just these absolutely sugary looking faces and they kind of remind me of soviet propaganda in a weird way you know like these you know what I'm talking about, right, Amanda? Like that kind of design. And you see yeah. it today also with like the flat design where whether you go to Google or Facebook or whatever, you see these blob-like creatures that don't resemble like any particular gender. It's not like, let's say, like in the 1950s where we had, for example, certain archetypes of like men, women. You know, the women usually had like curves and they were cute and they were happy and the guys looked like a little bit tougher. They had like eyebrow ridges. I think that there's a primal part of us that connects to a lot of these archetypes. Not to say that there aren't people who are more within the middle ground. We've always had people who can like go in between the two. But what made them special was exactly that, that they were special, that they were like the David Bowies, for example. You know, uh, like the, I talk about this all the time. The Mar Marianne Dietrich, David Bowie. If you can't tell, I talk about this with uh, the perfume nationalist. You know, oh, Jack. yeah, he, a regular guest of the show. He's been on several uh, times. One of my best friends, favorite people. But we talked a lot um, on a certain episode. I think it was like the third season closer about how, like, if you can't, uh, you're lying if you're telling me you can't tell the difference between the gender bendy cool of a David Bowie or a Marlene Dietrich or like, um, even like something like the crying game or like, um, 
uh, Helmut Newton um, with the cool, very powerful looking women in suits with smoking jackets and hats in the street and like standing like very like powerful, blah, 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 whatever, like very gender bendy, but like arty and cool. Like if you're telling me you can't tell the difference between that and like the freak show that's going on right now with like the woke, like, sorry, trans ideology that I just don't buy into at all. And I think the fact that they're like, the thing that's so crazy about it is that it's like, okay, so let's just say you like the rules as they were like in Florida and wherever we're like, okay, well, you just can't talk about sex and things like that with kids that are under, you know, 16, 18, whatever. Why is there such a pushback against that? Why are there cartoons as you describe almost in this like um, propaganda ish way? Why are they being designed for children? Like, I shouldn't, I would, they didn't talk about sex in those terms when we were kids at all, trans, not trans, gay, not whatever. It just wasn't, wasn't how nobody was getting that kind of education. That's just crazy. The fact that they're freaking out about it, not being aimed towards kids is what makes it so incredibly off-putting and incredibly uniting amongst, uh, parents and anyone who remembers what things were like before five minutes ago and there also seems to be a kind of and i want daniele definitely respond but just real quick in the video games department when it comes to certain things that people take as well this is just a matter of respect as far as having all these different pronouns in a video game like this new one about outer space, the problem that ends up happening is if somebody decides to make a mod of that video game, getting rid of the pronouns, all of a sudden they're banned from this entire, you know, the forum where they release the mod. And that's where kind of the control aspect comes in, where on one hand, sure, we want to be respectful, but if we're noticing that certain things, I guess kind of like with the school board scenario, certain things where let's decide on our own if we want to be respectful or if we want our kids to get certain content or not. And if then the government comes in and if then the mm -hmm. government, like in California right now, I heard they recently passed this new law that in divorce proceedings, there is going to be a consideration of whether or not one of the parents accepts the child's gender identity when it comes to who Jordan, the child Jordan is going to be with. Jordan Peterson was ahead of all of us on that. I mean, I got to say like, uh, I couldn't believe it came out of Canada, but Jordan Peterson was the first one that said that, that they're going to have laws, uh, um, not, we never thought it would be, um, anti-free speech laws in so much as you, what it is, which is you can't say something, but compelled speech is just as bad. So to compel me to say something that I don't agree with, and for me to have to say, to call a man dressed as a woman, a woman, and I'm not trying to be mean to somebody. I'm not trying to like, like, like go out of my way to be mean or something like that to someone in some certain situation. But there is a part of me that's like, I'm not going to do that. Nope. Nope. I'm sorry, but I am a woman and you can't just put a dress on and take some hormone pills and say that you are the same as me. That is not the same. It's not the same. Like, and so like, again, that might be maybe one of my lines in the sand that I didn't bring up before is that I, I can't cross that line. That's not that I just won't, I won't, I just will not. 
And I, I'm just shocking I, when I first, you know, we all first heard about Jordan Peterson was because of those interviews he was doing where he said, I will not participate in compelled speech. The guy's Canadian. I mean, we're the ones that are supposed to be First Amendment, you know, everything. Like you say, either your country's the best country or the worst country. Um, but anyways, that 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 was something I thought was interesting where I never expected it to come in the form of compelled speech. It's very interesting. And Daniele, being in California right now, what have your experiences currently been, especially, you know, being a teacher and all that, when it comes to where this culture is headed and whether you see this being something that could lead to a gulagging type of situation if left unchecked? Well, and that's where I think there's something interesting in what, um, you know, something that Amanda was saying a little bit ago regarding media. And that's where, to me, is really trippy, because if I spend my day on social media, my perception of the world is so radically different than what I experience in day-to-day life. I mean, yeah, I teach like I teach in a bunch of universities in Southern California. You would expect it to be, you know, crazy, like whatever stereotype you would have about that to the 10th power and more. I pretty much never see it. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I'm sure it does happen here, there. But to me, it's like there are things that are happening. But then it's also a vicious cycle between two polar opposites. You know, it's like, for example, take something batshit crazy, that whatever particular batshit crazy thing you think it is that's been taught in a school. Maybe it happens in one every 30 schools. But now we shine the spotlight, we talk nonstop about it, becomes an identity issue. So everybody on one side of the political spectrum has to oppose it. Everybody on the other side has to defend it, even though they may think it's completely demented. But if those guys are against it, we have to defend it kind of thing. And now it's going to be because it becomes part of the conversation so much. Now it shows up in five schools, in 10, in 15. But it's... uh, to me, it's almost like the people who are sometimes uh, making a profit over finding the new thing to be outraged about every day are, in a way, contributing to the growth of the very things they are criticizing by making them such a big deal, which is not to say that we should ignore stuff, because I get it. You know, it doesn't have to be mainstream everywhere before you take it seriously. You know, you can point to a tendency in a culture and it's going in a direction that you think it's unhealthy and you may want to call it earlier rather than later. I get that. At the same time, overhyping it, makes it way worse than it is in reality and in a paradoxical kind of way may end up creating the very reality you're criticizing initially. Because, yeah, I mean, my experience is weird in that regard. You know, you would expect weird, crazy things to happen. I hardly ever see that in real life. You know, Mm -hmm. once in a while, you know, a little bit. But my guess is that much of what we see comes primarily from private schools, small uh, liberal arts colleges where this kind of stuff is hyped to the 10th power. Mm-hmm. A lot of places that are even just state university, UCs, that kind of stuff. I mean, again, is it there? Sure. Is it as prevalent as we advertise? Not nearly as much. And again, no, 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 maybe it's just my experience. Maybe I'm living in my bubble and it's happening in the next room and I don't realize it. But in my experience not nearly as much as uh, the stuff we argue about on social media all the time. No, what he's saying makes total sense because, of course, why why is 
a normal situation is not going to make the news. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have on both sides the outrage machine. Yep. And I, I completely actually, I mean, I agree with that because I see the outrage machine on the right. I see the, certainly see the outrage machine on the left. I mean, obviously, I'm going to say that. I, but, I, but I do see it on both sides. And you're right. They make, there is a huge amount of money to be made in the outrage cycle. <laughs> yeah. And um, they don't shine a light on anything normal. Mm-hmm. Like anything that's not shocking to someone is not going to make the news. It's the same thing that people have been complaining about the news for. If it bleeds, it leads. Yep. Yeah. You know, for a gazillion years, that's not even a political concept. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. it's just it's a media concept. It's just uh, it's well, our institutions are partially. You know, the media is one of our institutions, mm-hmm. and I believe it is extremely broken. That's what I mean, where I, I think we like we really most people agree on most of these like kind of like nuanced issues. Uh-huh. And then we get pushed in this like us and them uh-huh. situation. And it is not to our benefit. It's never to our benefit. And like I was so hopeful in 2016. I was so I was so stupidly hopeful in 2016 and 2015 that I was like, oh, well, this will be great because then, you know, Trump will come in and everyone will see that, like, the, you know, the new generation of Republicans is nothing like the other ones and, like, everyone will get along and this will all actually, like, I actually thought it would be less divisive afterwards. <laughs> uh, sweet summer uh, child. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I was, this, you know, I wasn't a political consultant then. Let's just put it that way. Um, but oh. yeah, I think what Danielle is saying again, I mean, he's just really uh, I's just absolutely on point with that. But the FBI factor that still has to be considered because obviously people who were within that organization, they didn't oh, see right, things right. as nuanced as you and Daniele do. They Not did pick that, a side. They're, uh, they're, like this whole idea that it's just a couple of bad apples and like the rest of them are okay is uh, totally insane. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, if they if it was just they're like with all these people that say things like well it's not the rank and file well i will believe that when i see the rank and file ranking and filing it out the door and all becoming whistleblowers and telling us every single thing that's been going on like a few of them have to their detriment to their i don't know what they're going to even do with the rest of their lives like career wise i mean they're barely getting the kind of protection that whistleblowers historically have gotten in the united states and um i mean cia good luck you're not good luck (laughs) getting a a cia whistleblower they'll be dead there's no they're like fbi doj at least we can get some people telling the truth about what's going on i mean we've got guys like you know of course i'm gonna say like in plot against the president you've got guys like cash patel who were so disgusted and we're not he wasn't he worked under obama he worked under many different presidents. He was not a political figure until he saw how corrupt the DOJ was and then went to go work for a congressman who would expose this. And like it says in the movie, he said, I want to expose whatever we find. I don't care if it's good for the right, if it's good for the left, I want to expose the whole thing. It turns out what they exposed was Russiagate being a hoax. But like guys like that, I mean, where are they? That's why he's so unique. You're like this one guy we're celebrating because he's the one guy. I mean, like, where is everybody else on this? And, well, and that's, yeah. that's very frustrating. 
well, where's Nikola Tesla? Where's Thomas Edison? Where's Alan Dulles, who I was mentioning before? That's another weird thing. I mean, I guess it's kind of almost a spiritual question in a way, where when we look back at the 20th century and the 19th century, there's all these great historical names. I mean, like him or hate him, I'm sure Alan Dulles was not a great dude. But the fact no. that he was somebody who was able to create the CIA and do the kind of things that he was Out able to do. House. He's the yeah. one that did something that you couldn't control. He's the one that took the CIA out of the chain of command. That actually is, I think you, I, I think you could point to Alan Dulles as the point mm -hmm. at which our country went awry. Yeah. If, if you but had, but you, that was that was a Conan move, though. You got to admit, like for somebody to be able to figure out a way like, to wield all that power. Said, you can have a Conan lifestyle if you live in a roving band of 20 or 30 people in. We haven't seen Conan the King yet, by the way. We don't know mm. what kind of a leader Conan would be because, unfortunately, Warner Brothers doesn't want Conan the King to be seen. I've read the script. Oh. I'm happily, happily would send it to each of Schwarzenegger you Schwarzenegger wants to uh, do it, right? Um. I think Schwarzenegger, the dad, got pushed into talking about it because um, I have um, I have a little bit of a bad habit of um, I wouldn't say harassing, but um, communicating with his son Joe Banya on Instagram um, because I think he would make the most perfect like baby Conan ever. And he'd be like, he looks exactly like Arnold. So I'm constantly going after him when he's not in the gym. And I'm like, why aren't you in the gym? Why aren't you in the gym? I don't see you sword practicing. What is this dancing with the stars shit? This is for girly men. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm like kind of going at this kid a lot. Like, and he starts responding. Finally, the poor guy, I should leave this poor child alone. But anyways, if I was to direct Conan the King, that kid would absolutely be in it. And he'd be mm. amazing. He'd be, he's very charismatic, very good on camera. Uh, he works out pretty well. It still needs to be in the gym and be doing sword practice and things like that. But then the dad, I swear, I think did that interview because there was an interview about uh, Conan the King where he was like, the, he was like, stop asking me about this. I'm not in charge. The reason we can't make that movie is because Warner Brothers won't let it huh? off the shelf. And that is a very real thing. And my dad has... Um, about 30 unmade scripts, okay? Everything from Daniel Boone to Genghis Khan to uh. Conan the King to um, a really, I mean, uh, Dr. Strangelove level funny um, movie about um, the real Dr. Strangelove. Um, he has, I mean, I could go on forever. Tons and tons of these movies, but they're owned by the studios. And the studios are not exactly owned and run by people who want a lot of John Milius movies out there right now. Maybe this will change and I'll get my hands on one of them and I can do it. I mean, literally two days ago I was with my dad and he was like, why, why can't you get, you know, try to get Boone made, try to go get Daniel Boone made. And I'm like, dad, I don't have any magical like powers more than you do. Like, Remember all those like days and weeks that you got to just sit and write in an office and smoke cigars and hang out with the Hells Angels and the Special Forces guys and whoever the heck you were hanging out with and like just like living this life of like, you know, really he got to live and it's good. It's a good thing that he did. He got to live the life of like um, a boy with an imagination. He got to write the the imagination, the, the fantasies of of all adolescent boys 
right? Like maybe my friends and I are going to conquer this bad, you know, uh, religious leader and we're going to cut the head off his snake and then we're going to steal this and we're going to, and then maybe our friends and I, we're going to live up in the woods and we're going to, we're going to combat the Soviets. And it's like, we're going to take their tank and then we're just going to like fight them with our hunting rifles. Like everything my dad does is like a fantasy of a certain type of American boy, which is that why it's so successful. And he could do that because he could spend his life, he could spend his life in that brain, right? He could, he could stay in that mindset. And I tell him, I'm like, you know, the reason you could stay in that mindset is because you were working in the studio system, bro. You were getting paid every single day you were there. The trade-off is that they own everything you wrote while you were there. <laughs> like you don't, he's like, he's like, why can't you just take it? Just you go direct it. And I'm like, I don't own it. Neither do you. Like, it would surely be a- you understand this. Like, you know what I think would be a great deal? If the Japanese, because I know like he likes Japan a lot, if the Japanese oh, studios could buy the scripts from Warner Brothers, they could make an anime, like animes based on your father's scripts. I think that would be amazing. Amazing. Um, there's there's so many. Uh, I, that's actually been mentioned before. Is um, yeah. is doing a um, what do you call it? A graphic novel mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on some of his some of his stuff. Um, because there's just, there's many, many options. It's just that working with him is not easy. Um, And, uh, and um, you know, there's just been a lot of, like I said, when I said there was a lot of decisions made in the past that were not exactly the greatest decisions for the future. This is what I'm talking about. Like some of this stuff is what I'm talking about. Like, the yeah. fact that I can't just pick up and take one of these scripts and be, you know, his representative to any. There's plenty of people in Hollywood, by the way, that would still make these movies. It's it's a little bit over um, uh, overshooting it to say that there truly is no one in Hollywood that would make a John Milius script. Like, of course there is. But it's it's about getting it out from under the the grips of the studios that they they are not like wrong in what they're saying. They're saying we paid this person x millions of dollars to sit and write this it didn't happen to get made but those millions of dollars are still on our books so if you want this script you're gonna have to pay us for it because we already paid for it and it's like that's how the movie industry works Mm -hmm. and i studied that right that's why when i went to usc i i didn't i certainly didn't go to to the writing school because I mean, I'm sorry, if you're John Milius's kid, like, why would you go to writing school? Like, you're just, you're just not going to win. Like, just, you're just, no. Like, I was a very visually focused person. I was a photographer before I would study all of the great directors that were more, um, I would say, visually, visual storytellers. Um, uh, And my, you can't beat my dad at dialogue. So, you know, like, I I kind of, and also, I actually think it's a very difference between a, fe- um, a female and a masculine way of looking at things. Um, I am just more of a visual person. I was a painter. I was a photographer. I was, I was always, I was a cinema, a, you know, assistant cinematographer for a while. I, um, I'm more into visuals and, and, and I'm very much more into like working with actors on like a psychological level um, as opposed to kind of this, more dialogue driven um storytelling which is which is funny by the way because you have brilliant verbal acuity 
And uh, that is something that I noticed. Like you were able to really quickly pick up on certain things that were said. And I think that that is a great quality, no matter like whether you're saying that uh, the dialogue is not your thing, you have amazing verbal IQ, uh, uh, acuity and then visual acuity to boot. So you've got the whole package. Well, my brother would, uh, that was part of the Malice show. I told you there's like one thing yeah. my brother would always tell people, which is that um, I'm one of those kids that didn't go to class, but I got a perfect score on my verbal SATs, but probably a zero on the math. So, you know, worked out, but um but anyways, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the industry reason why we're not seeing Conan the King, um, even though there's a huge audience for it. I, it's it's the studios. And like it or not, I mean, my dad's generation was known for breaking up the studio system, but he was working for the studio system. Mm-hmm. Like his office was always at Sony. It was at Warner Brothers. It was at um, Columbia before it became Sony. I think when I was a kid. All I know is I don't. I didn't visit him in a non-studio office ever. And now you'd say they don't have the money anymore, or they don't want to do these kind of projects where they would pay millions of dollars for brilliant scripts to be written. Because it seems like yeah. right now there's you know there's not really that much well, going I'll on. You, I'll tell you. exactly exactly why they don't want to do it because uh hollywood has redesigned its um business model that it has any movie that they make has to be successful overseas more so than it has to be successful domestically and when you have a very heavily dialogue uh driven script or a heavily story driven script that isn't like man running from monster or monster turns into car and there's a fight like the most basic concepts you can imagine. You can sell that anywhere. You can sell that to all of Asia. You can sell that to all of South America, Central America. You can sell that to every country in the world. And that's what you need. If you're making $200 million movies, which you know comes down to being about $100 million in production costs and $100 million in global advertising, that's actually how that usually breaks down. Um, that's, that's, oh, great. The other cat screaming. Stop it. We're not playing right now. No, stop. Um, the, the, um, dude. Not- <laughs> Everybody subscribe, by the way. Those who are watching right now and haven't subscribed, I'm using this cat distraction to ask you to subscribe right now. Anyway. But, I'll have but- to, sorry, I'll have to jump in super quick. I have yeah. to go on dad duty because my oh. daughter needs to do something at school and I need to take her for a night event. So I'm, I made I- my point. Please go ahead. I All right, Daniel, apologize. Go no problem. I, I need to run. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Good where where can we find where can we find you, uh, Daniele? Hist- uh, History on Fire uh, podcast and uh, yeah. where else? Yeah, uh, in a rare moment of good decisions, which are rare enough that are notable when they happen, I made uh, I put together a link tree. So that all my links, all the stuff, rather than having to try to say 35 different things, they're all there. So if you manage to figure out how to spell my name, which luckily shows up on the screen, so that helps. And the last name has a lot of L's, but that's B-O-L-E-L-L-I, link three, everything you could possibly want and more than that is there. So from Substack to YouTube channel to History on Fire podcast to all the good stuff. 
Excellent. Danielle, thank you so much for coming in. Amanda, would you be able to stick around for a little bit uh, longer? How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I, I can give us a, about another 15 or so. Is that okay? Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Cool. All right, Danielle, thank you very much, brother. I really appreciate it. And also, guys, take care, Danielle. And also, guys, if you are enjoying the conversation, you can become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules today. And by doing so, you're going to support the show. And also, there's going to be VIP events that I've been doing, like some of the uh, – Amanda, you're familiar with Dime Square, right, in the New York City? Yeah, yeah, so I I did a show with them recently uh, with uh, Jason Researcher Johnny. We're talking about UFOs, aliens, stuff like that. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. So if you guys want to be VIPs for other live events that Break the Rules is going to be doing, become a twenty dollar patron today. And also Lev's Lens Substack. I did a Substack uh, recently about uh, Alex Jones, the dissection of Alex Jones. I called it where. I have him like in the frog outfit and there's like this red line going through there because kind of like what we're doing right now, I want to be able to take things from um, what's been uh, what's been said by people that are warning about troublesome things ahead and kind of say, okay, what are the things that's not going to take us like several lifetimes to go through? What are some very basic things that you could present that these are the things that pose the dangers and these are the things that uh, we're going to have to tackle? You were mentioning FBI, CIA, uh, interfering with basic parental you know understandings of what exactly their children are or aren't allowed to uh, see and that's pretty troublesome for me i don't know if like, like right now the parents haven't really been arrested for doing things of that nature but other creep having to do with like that california law that i was talking about with the divorces and uh, the gender identity that's not well, good either if you care about art, let's talk about that. I mean, okay, so the fact that I was able to get Plot Against the President on Amazon, iTunes, and YouTube was such a feat that only I could have done that with the amount of sheer will that I had at that time. Um, there's very few people that can do that. Um there's a problem there. Even after I did that, Amazon changed their rules so that um, you couldn't put unsolicited documentaries um, onto Amazon uh, without a prior approval by Amazon because that movie did so well. It overcame their algorithm. It was on the front page of everybody. You know, when you turned your Amazon on, it was like one of the first movies, if not the first one um, during the first few weeks and certainly during, I mean, months actually. So, okay. So that's not a government intrusion. And the fact that there's other movies that I'm involved with and um, there's other movies that have been made that have nothing to do with me that have not been able to do that. And um, yes, there's things like rumble, but when it comes to reaching an incredibly wide audience, um, you have to be able to, if you're in the, if you're in the business of movies, you have to be able to reach mom and dad America as they, as they are, as they yeah. sit on their TV and can click one button, see it and press play. Like this idea that, okay, well, we can just put everything on a computer screen. It's going to be fine. And then, oh, we can Chromecast it or whatever. Just like, okay, all of that is just too, that's too many steps. And it's, 
going to hurt the industry because it's going to hurt people's ability to make money. Um, because you can't, uh, I get so many people that'll be like, well, why wasn't plot against the president free? And I'm like, well, cause it didn't, it wasn't free to make. So like, I'm not like the point is to have an industry, right? A competitive yes. industry to Hollywood. And you're not going to have that if you just keep having these sort of like wackier movies, um, that don't go through, you know, let me put the, let me put some of the, the, the burden on the filmmakers that don't go through the clearance and don't go through the legal work that is required, um, for a film to have massive, um, distribution and at the same time, the distributors are under pressure not to put certain movies out. Um, for example, um, even though the movie that I made had absolutely nothing to do with January 6th, it was about 2016. Um, I look like I live in a jungle right now. It's like there's like like there, um, there's it's all dark cats, green right? and you have yeah, the Hieronymus like, box painting behind you there. And then there's just like these two cats just roaming around. Yeah. I'm never going to hear the end of it on the internet. They're going to be like, anyway, um, you know, it'd be great if you could sit down. Um, the, uh, um, the point is that, um, none the of that stuff, is, yeah. none of that stuff is government controlled, but, um, all of that leads to a dampening of people making interesting and edgy art you don't want to be in a situation where the only movies that are getting made are the ones that are okay with the the regime the it's not it's not the government but like the 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 general uh, like hollywood big hollywood right like you don't want yeah. you don't i mean we had an indie revolution for this reason did but you, you don't think there are enough people who feel like you feel right now and when they see any hollywood celebrity that's trying to preach to them they do the complete opposite at least it seems yeah, to but, me well, like they're, it still yeah. doesn't get the movies made though like it still doesn't that they might they might roll their eyes and say i don't care what gwyneth paltrow tells me about anything uh mm. I move on from it fine maybe they've lost their power but hollywood this idea that hollywood only cares about money is not a thing like they're so owned by china they're, ah, they're the first yeah. industry that china was that china bought and i mean that that was a trip when i was working at state department getting briefed about that um and the example was the 2012 version of red dawn versus the original red dawn that my dad made um and how they had to change certain things in the 2012 one to make it appealing to china and i'm like sitting there like getting briefed and i'm like i know like i i i have a i i know i have an opinion about this that's long held like it was it was totally weird but um uh but yeah like there's a a dampening effect on and and this is a shame because you know we are finally at a place where the technology of film is so um advanced and small and cheap that really we should be having a second indie boom right now like you know how we had in you know like the 1990s when they had um uh studios popping up that were making you know a24 and and, yeah. and, and but people and had an attention like span back then that's the problem right now a lot of these they, younger zoomers I think they want it. I, the, do, you, do you see how well Oppenheimer did just by being a normal mm. movie? 
That is, a, that is a good point. Only thing that I would say is I'm curious about the age range of the people who attended even the Barbie movie in comparison to how much people, especially like younger people, are on TikTok. I'm not even talking right now. I'm talking about like 10 years, ago, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I just don't know if the attention span is going to be good enough to get anything into the theaters other than ask the movie, which was an idiocracy by Mike Judge. Where people were just staring at an ass that was farting. Mike Judge was really ahead of his time, I got to say. Uh, he's got some good politics, though, you know. Um, mm. I don't know. I guess I'm um, optimistic about that. I think that the movie theater experience isn't going anywhere. I just think as long as there's dates and as long as there's the desire to unplug for two hours, which I think actually becomes even more valued in this sort of scro doom scrolling uh, world we live in. I think that the, the cinema experience is not going anywhere. And I, I hear that even from the big wigs, you know, in Hollywood, like Steven Spielberg is a big proponent of saying that the, the theater experience isn't going anywhere and can't go anywhere. And that um, streaming, you know, obviously streaming is great. I, I love streaming. I mean, streaming saved our movie because mm. we released in the same year as COVID when all the theaters closed, but the theater experience is not, it, it's not going away. I mean, cinema is designed for that. And people sometimes ask me, they're like, well, why, why does it matter so much? And I'm like, just the sound alone. And I'm not even talking about a screen that's big enough that fills your entire field, field of view. I mean, it's an utterly different experience. It's, it's, it's so important as a, again, as a visual storyteller, the fact that I can make something move from this side of the screen to that side of the screen really fast, an entire audience will go like that. Like, that's that's not possible at any home theater. I don't you can you can put it uh, on the, your the, home Okay, wall. the only thing the only thing that I would say is a counter and I agree with you that cinema is not going to be dead until until Elon Musk gets the brain chips it into does. our heads and then yeah. we're just going to be living like uh your father's just going to be living out his fantasy of being the actual Conan the barbarian, you know, out there in the wilderness and that is going to be a whole other stage for humanity that's going to be a brave new world. But uh the last thing that I the want to touch is yeah. good though. That that's the thing is it's, at the end of the day I don't think story ever dies. I mean, look, mm. we always feel I think every era feels like they're living at the end of the world. Do you really think that like Homer thought that he was living at the beginning of culture and yeah. Western civilization? Well, look I, at Christianity, I, you know, like a Pope Sylvester thought that the end was coming. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like the story stays. The story of the ability of a good story doesn't lose its power regardless of the medium. I just might that like if anything i said i was really blackpilled and i was gonna bum everybody out with how dark i think everything is but that i'm extremely optimistic about is i think that story at the end of the day will always win in the spiritual matter and this kind of relates to the last thing that i wanted to ask you here in the spiritual matter do you see the life that we're living in right now as also being a story where, for example, Carl Jung talks about there being these different aeons that people live through, and right now we're going into the age of Aquarius, which is going to be different from the age of Pisces, that was like the time of Jesus, which had its own particular spiritual leanings when it comes to like self-sacrifice and things like that, and now they're supposed to be, according to the 
this interesting dude I had on the show, Meme Analysis, there's going to be a divergence where you're going to have one group of people that's going to go more within. They're going to mm -hmm. try and figure out, like, what exactly is up with all these different religions? What are they trying to tell us? What are the processes that we're going to be experiencing when we die? What is the afterlife? Does reincarnation exist? How does all this work? And then there's going to be another group of people that are just going to be plugged into, I'm sure you're familiar with this term, goon cave. They're going to be plugged into, you know, their goon machine, and they're going to have like this har harem of anime girls inside of their heads. Oh. And they're just going to be stuck there. They're just going to be, you know, being trained of their life force. And eventually their spirit is going to die because there's not going to be anything that is like the kind of pressure that you talked about when you were hated, nor the kind of pressure that, let's say, our ancestors had to go against in order to grow. If you're not yeah, having anything negative. Like, that's got to be appealing to anybody who's afraid to fail anybody who and which is a lot of people i have to remind myself not to be afraid to fail um it's 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 just that I, I i don't really go into this i don't buy into this ages thing so much but at the same time i don't disagree that there are and i think there have always been two different kinds of people of people that will always take even if it's more uncomfortable, the reality fight um, versus the people that, and I can think of different people that I've known in my life that I'm like, oh yeah, that one would check out. That person would check out. They would check out at the first opportunity to put the headset on and just be like, nope, I'm, I'm living out. I don't care if it's real or not. I'm, I'm sitting on a couch and I am living a fantasy that I have in my mind and in, in, on my couch. It's already here. It's already here yeah, on social media. I mean, yeah, for sure. And it's like, um, but at the same time, there's like, there's, again, there's a reason, this is going to sound crazy, but there's a reason, of course, like I said, like, I mean, Conan was the most impactful movie on me that my dad made. Um, and then something else that really changed my life and I talk about a lot on the internet and people think I'm crazy is Kobe Bryant and his mentality, the Mamba mentality about persevering about your job on earth to be the best at what you can be every single day of your life that you owe it to your life. Like you can say to, to God, to whatever you want to say it to, that you owe it to being alive, to be the best possible version of yourself at every possible moment. Um, Krom would be pleased by that, by the way. Like that's... There's, there's so many connections. Do not get me started. <laughs> the snake stuff. And then you get the, 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 the philosophy, the Mamba mentality and the Kobe, uh, the, the Conan philosophy are like this. It's like, yeah. it's like the same thing. Oh, well, Eastern like, philosophy as well. Head. I mean, can you imagine yeah. how nuts I am? Anyways, um, but yeah, so that's like a really big, so that's something that I think about where I'm like, I, I don't see that in everybody. And I think it's special people that that will stick to the fight and, and embracing what God gave them, which is a life um, versus people that will check out. There are already two different kinds of people. But then here's the uh, final kind of disturbing part of this, which just so you know about Break the Rules, 
I usually do have these kind of uh, meetings of the minds where I get people like you and Daniele who do agree on a lot, yet come from very different circles. And one of the people that I've brought in, which was a very different circle from a lot of the other, let's say, more, you know, transhumanists, like I had Gennady Stolyarov II, who's like a member of the transhumanist party, and he was... Yes, he was. No, he was a nice guy. He's really cool. And uh, he wrote this book called Death is Wrong. So he's against death entirely. But that's like a whole other. We got to get you two on. But anyway, but anyway, anyway, he was on with this very extreme, like the edgiest of the edgy uh, uh, people named Sonny, who was part of this whole Kaliak thing. I don't know if you know Kaliak Kali accelerationism. It was this, I guess yes. you could call you call it a cult or whatever back in the day, but people thought of it as I did, kind of like as a digital steepy or step, I don't know how to pre- step, where yeah. different people were yeah. able to meet up and kind of exchange information. And we had this guy in like Aryan Cowboy who was talking about all kinds mm-hmm. of esoteric things having to do with uh, uh, Shambhala and Agartha, and, you know, like the usual stuff that now has become well, I mean, very... I like this stuff. Yeah. I, I... I like to dabble in uh, in in all of this, but sorry, go ahead. No, well, here here's the big question though. Right now, I think we're at a point like let's say with Elon Musk, where I'm very happy that Twitter's become or X has become a lot less censored. But then I also noticed that certain people, he's not just uncensoring them, but he's also promoting like this one guy. I don't remember his name, but he's like a super duper. Like you were talking about Pedro Gonzalez being like an autistically an anti semite. Here we're talking about somebody who's like a legit 100% anti semite to the extent that he wouldn't even come on break the rules. So when somebody like Sonny, who like did all these Hitler memes, comes on break the rules to debate my transhumanist friend, yeah. and I have no problem with that whatsoever. Like I, I brought the knowledge that I was Jewish to them and their form, and they were absolutely cool with it. Like I think these were younger yeah, people. There's, there's, there's totally a different level. Yeah. And it was hilarious the other day. Like some leftist was like, "So what you're saying is that you can tell the difference between people that are are, are tweeting anti anti Semitic memes and anti and actual anti Semites?" And I just like replied with my one picture that just said <laughs> yes. Yeah, and like there are people who are in that for the long haul, and he even had a friend of his, which I don't want to go too long of a story. I don't but even to make, think yeah. that like the ones that like half of the ones that are like pretend in the long haul, like like my little Groiber followers, mm-hmm. who I I do I do care for them, like my little frogs very mm-hmm. well. Um, they just get upset four times a year. We're we're getting onto one of them. Um, but, but, uh, but I'm not talking about know, little, just to be clear, the people I'm talking about, they're not little, they're like well-educated, like they've right, read Evola, no, yeah, they've yeah, read like yeah. all this kind of stuff. And the thing that yeah, I find weird different. is that why is Elon Musk promoting them out of all the people who he could potentially promote, who talk about the same things, like having to do with the ADL and all that. Cause I believe in free right. speech. I believe in people being able to go against these. Yeah, of course, of course. But then why promote those people? Like the people who he knows better, like he knows that these are like legit anti-Semites and I don't understand. Okay. That. So this ADL thing popped up, uh, unfortunately, cause I usually stick myself in the middle of these because the, anti-Semitism accusation when used incorrectly is an absolute disaster for actual anti-Semitism issues. And it drives me freaking insane. Uh, And I won't even say one day I will reveal the t-shirt that I have made (laughs) that sums up my feelings about this. Today Mm. is not that day, but, um, but it it drives me freaking nuts. Okay. So that's why I have to like, and like some of my, my, my more like, uh, 
my older friends or like my more traditional friends, they're like, well, okay, so I don't understand. You just tore the shit out of Pedro Gonzalez, but you told me that this guy over here wasn't so bad. And I was like, yes, I stand by that. I'm completely right. I know this guy. I talked to this guy. I talked to, I knew both of them. Like it's a completely different situation, like utterly different situation between certain, certain people. You just have to have an eye for the internet. I don't know how to put it. Like I just have been online since it, existed so i I just i can you know you you know i mean you you can read these yeah like if yeah go on the the um the adl thing it's a i'm i'm kind of annoyed that i uh i wasn't more involved in the moment that finally everybody kind of turned against the adl because the adl has been giving jews a bad name forever and uh, and and they've been just a total disaster and no help. I mean, not no help. They have been actively uh, politically terrible for Jews. Um, and um, and I'm annoyed that I wasn't more involved because I was actually traveling uh, the last two weeks. I've been tra- I've been on the road pretty much like the whole time um, to see my dad and to um, see, you know visit my both of my parents and go to California and Texas and everywhere I've been going. Um, it's been kind of insane. So I've been very off the topic and I actually don't know which guys you are referring to. I can tell you later, not not even because I don't want to remember now. I just don't remember the guy's name, but let's pretend if it was in the scenario, if it was somebody like Pedro Gonzalez, let's say, and you found out that this is the guy who Elon Musk was promoting, like that wouldn't be great. I I would be so annoyed that like, I, ah, no, that would be really, that would be really stupid. So at least, uh, okay, so at least if you were to buy what I'm selling right now, like if you were to take my word for yeah, it, like okay, who the gentleman okay. was, he was so anti-Semitic that he wouldn't even come to break the rules because when I found out through a personal uh, acquaintance who used to be on the show that he does not want to come on because I'm Jewish. So that's like the level of person that we're talking about here. And a friend of his who used to come on as well uh, back in the day, he thought that I hated him for some reason. And I never understood why, but they he also do. like... They were like, oh, do you know how much like Jews hate like this or that? And I'm like, no, I, I don't no. know that. Like I disagreed with him a lot sure. about his love for authoritarianism, but it's like, dude, this is what the show's about. Like, I don't hate you. I want to, yeah, I want to speak with you and like get to the bottom of what exactly the differences are here and try to figure ourselves out of it. But the last thing that I kind of want to figure out here is I also had raw egg nationalists on the stream and that was a fun yeah. stream. Like I, I get where, and I think we're all on the same page here. Like I get where that surf the Kali Yuga energy is coming from. But yeah. at the same time, I think that there are people who are within that circle who unironically wouldn't mind there being like some fascist dictatorship that'll solve all their okay. problems. Yeah. The, uh, the, come on. But like, the sh- so, okay. I don't know. My yeah. sense of humor is, is rather, rather twisted. But when they had that shirt though, blood soil and grass fed beef, come on yeah that's excellent that's hilarious i think i I think it's about like okay imagine imagine if we were like in the weimar republic right now right and we were sitting in a cafe and no no no, we're sitting in a cafe and we're speaking to all these intellectuals to like people who are going to become like the next mussolini and the next hitler and whatever and we're just having a conversation back before anything no no nobody knows anything at that point we're all just exchanging ideas 
I bet that there are opportunities out there for some people, I'm not saying all, but for some people to have a positive impact when speaking to some of these people who later on may become some weird fascist leaders because people, well, they can that, LARP. Part yeah. of that would be letting them, letting, letting them have fun and make jokes that aren't serious and not acting like there's something, that there's a certain something you can never talk about. And you can never make jokes about. So I think that that letting the steam out is actually important. That's, again, why the ADL, I think, was such a disaster and why certain organizations. I mean, I remember when I was in the uh, admin having to explain to certain individuals who had proposed an anti-Semitism czar that would police the Internet for. And I was like, no, I was like. No, stop, stop. How are these people so clueless? Like, this this is what I'm going to get. They're their own worst enemy. I know. Okay, the best best thing, the best thing I think would be done is number one, sure, let them have fun. But number two, actually get people who are kind of what I want to do with BTR, get people who are professionals in their field, whatever, to actually speak with a lot of these people and to like sit down and thoroughly like go through, okay, you have questions about society, you have questions about what was going on back there in the Middle Ages with like the banking or international finance. Let's let's have at it. Let's talk about everything. I don't care. And what I always do is I'm always like, uh, it's, um, I, I have this weird thing where I always have this conversation with like the Groypers or with whoever about like IQ, for example, where I'm like, but you guys love this conversation. You love the IQ conversation until it gets to this one place. Mm-hmm. And that would be with the Ashkenazi Jews. And you suddenly get really pissed about that. I don't understand. Do you believe that IQ has anything to do with where you might end up in society or not. And thus, if you believe that it does, uh, you would have to, if you study IQ at all, you would have to say that Ashkenazi Jews have higher IQs than they like, they're overrepresented in in the like, uh, uh, the curve, if you will. So the chess, just, music, science, yeah. uh, everything. Well, just literally everything. So they're going to end up in leadership positions. Forget even being inventors and, um, uh, uh, um, you know, come up with new ideas and and psychology and this and that. Because they'll always they'll point to like Karl Marx or they'll point to like the bad side of it. But you're like, yes, but there's just as many on the good side. And the issue is, is that they'll actually... What you're you're looking at is a group of people that tend to rise to the top of whatever they do. And I frequently use the argument of like, if you had a garbage man's association, okay, like forget the international banks, just the the association of New York garbage picker uppers, the guy that's the president, probably the only Jew in the organization. I'm just saying it's extremely likely And it's just because they tend to be out of, and I'm not saying all of them. I'm not even saying like, like I'm not saying myself, I do it as a joke on the internet because it's funny and everybody does it. But like, I'm not saying uh, even my own, my own family or any, anything about myself or this or that or the other, or, or because that's Mm -hmm. the race. Well, they were, they were like rock stars in Cincinnati from what uh, you were talking about (laughs) earlier, right? Like. (laughs) Cincinnati. Yeah. Don't make me laugh. 
<laughs> the Cincinnati one. Remember, I said the wrong thing where I was like, instead of Cincinnati Schindler, I said Cincinnati Hitler. <laughs> yeah, that they were in charge of the <laughs> guest. <laughs> oh my God. That show was such a brilliant yeah. uh, train wreck that it was just like, oh, it was so great. I was, I love Michael Malice. Oh, he's, a, he's a real so sweetheart. Awesome. Yeah. I met him at Skang yeah. Fest back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's been. I mean, so many of those guys like back from the Red Eye era, from like Fox and stuff like that. Um, but my point is just that it's like okay, so sure, yeah, I do think it would be important to have conversations like that with people who are um, potential future leaders because you don't want them going Pedro style, autistically serious, like. You want them to understand that it's like fine to joke about and to like, I mean, we joke with each other. It's like, let's all joke with each other. It's the same way that like, you know, people will look back on the nineties as like the height of um, race relations being fine because comedians were always joking about each other. And every comedian was always joking about race, every single race, not just like two races, but all the races and yeah. like all the religions and all the everything. And everybody was poking fun at everybody. And that's actually how you get along. And that's actually how you like just enjoy one another and not have big problems. Um, that's why I think it's important to like let people have jokes. But at the same time, that's why I also think it's important to go to bat when people are like, oh, like, but you guys are all the ones that are about letting the the migrants in the borders. And I'm like, well, then why was the hardest core people in the Trump administration about closing the border? A guy named Stephen Miller, who's a Jew, uh, my boss, who was a Catholic, and my coworker, who was another Jew. Um, so you had one, two, two, two Jews, Three Jews and a Catholic were pretty much the hardest core people uh, you were going to find on immigration uh, in the Trump White House. So tell me why, what, like, again, you're just going to find these people rising to the top of their their situations. Like, that's what happens. I, I like using the uh, analogy of uh, Gandalf and Saruman, how you have good wizards and bad wizards, but they both happen sure. to be wizards. And if you right. grow up in like an urban environment where you go to college, who are you going to be surrounded by? You're going to be surrounded by leftists. And the only jobs, if you yes. go into media, that you're going to have for the most part, guess what? They're going to be all the cathedral leftist bullshit uh, narrative type of jobs. And that's the environment you grow up in. If you grow up totally. somewhere else, like in Cincinnati, Ohio, and you're more like doing like some industry related things there, that's a very different environment, different crowd of people that you grow up with. And I think that's the real thing that people kind of miss from this whole equation. And a different kind of too. Yeah, exactly. Like how, how different a lot of those environments are. And even like with uh, the USSR, like back then, there was this impression that people have of like these, you know, nebbish Jews that, you know, don't want to go to war like the proud Russian soldiers. Right. Most well, of the, the volunteer. Well, just re yeah. Well, just real quick, like most of the volunteer jobs, not jobs, but volunteer positions during the Second World War, uh, which were super dangerous, were taken up by a lot of these so-called nebbish Jews where they had to sneak into the front lines there. And that was like the riskiest thing you possibly do. Because a lot of them, I think, at that point, maybe it was because, like, all of the pressure from the pogroms and all of that kind of mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. made somebody who's not afraid of death anymore. You know, and Absolutely. somebody who is willing to fight for something larger than themselves, while some of the more muscular, you know, macho guys ended up uh, sticking it around, you know, back with the boys there. So I don't know, like, it's a weird thing what we're going through right now, where I almost feel like just like any other people uh, on the planet Earth, people who are raised in a certain environment where they fear any kind of antagonism from people who they perceive to be anti-Semitic, they would rather not talk about it. They would rather just put their heads down. I don't think we're in an environment right now where we could afford to put our heads down. I think we have to be very honest with what's going on and uh, just like allow people to speak with each other and figure out like, what's the next step? How can we address this problem without becoming a dictatorship? Because again, like for me, the thing that I'll be very honest with you, and I think you've been very forthright with me. I really appreciate that. The thing that freaks me out about somebody like Trump, for example, would be not even him, not his decisions that he's made. You know, people think certain things are great. Certain things are bad. The thing that concerns me the most is that when you have somebody who does rely on the people as kind of like the uh, tone that's being set for what decisions you're going to make, it really comes down to what is the culture of the people at that point. And I would rather have a more responsible elite that can set a better tone for the people to follow, not in the controlling manner, but in the cultural manner, like elite that are actually cultured. I think I think we're so past that and the elite that we have are so utterly bad and they're actually so bad for us. If you want to talk about not good examples of Jews that care about individual countries and nationalism, uh, which I think is actually really important. Um, And that's why I actually think one of the most important things that happened was an Israeli Jew writing the book the virtue of nationalism. And of course, I'm talking about Yoram Hazoni, who I think is the leading voice in this. And it had to have been written from an Israeli Jew point of view um, is uh, is really where my head is at when when we talk about this stuff. Um, I don't fear the people because I don't think that they um, I, I think the, the voices of the people who are, you know, actually legitimately really anti-Semitic are just so minute compared to like average people. Um, at the end of the day, I'm American before I'm anything else. And um, I, that's always going to be how I am. And um, I, uh, I mean, of course I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm American before I'm anything. Um, so I want America to retain itself as a nation and I want France to retain itself as a nation and I want Israel to retain itself as a nation and on and on down the line. So nationalism is something I think it's really actually very, very important. And when you have that, I actually think you don't have situations that get out of control with dictators and this and that. And also like, I mean, like the, the Trump versus future fantasy dictator thing like i could say this way worse about biden like i could say way like abusive power and abusive i mean well let's put it this way just to be devil's advocate real quick here's less of a dictator and more of just a policy type uh, deal when you have people who let's face it if we are all in our closed loops 
which all of us are just because we have a limited amount of people that we could talk to on a daily basis, and if people watch certain programs that wouldn't really say anything other than, depending on whichever issue we're talking about here, that wouldn't conform to like the full package here. If you agree on this thing, then you're probably going to have to agree on A, B, and C, uh, yeah. it, because you don't want to lose the viewers, right? Like, for example, I am of a different opinion when it comes to the situation with Russia and Ukraine right now than you are. And I think that's perfectly fine. What I, the way that I want to go about it is actually having, I mean, now it's not, you know, we're not going to have time right now, but in general, yeah, having, you, don't get yeah. mad at me. Computer dies because no, no problem at all, no problem at all. But the, with the last thing there is that that's going to require maybe with my friend Vlad Davidson and Curtis Yarvin, you know, together that would yeah. be a cool stream. Like uh, that would require, yeah, that would require like a longer time to unpack. But when it comes to how that particular issue, for example, is portrayed, you're only going to have it portrayed one way when you're on Tucker Carlson and other issues kind of fall, you know, into that same thing. So my point here with well, Trump I don't is know. that I mean, I I like I was pretty early on maybe because I did the Russiagate movie and I had to research Ukraine so much and I had to be and also because of potentially doing plot against the president too, I have to be I I worked at state department. I was very 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 aware of what was going on in Ukraine and what the Atlanticists uh, desires about Ukraine were for so long. Um, yeah, we're going to have different opinions on that yeah. because I don't have like memories of like fond, fond memories of like summers in the fjords of Ukraine or something. Like, I don't, I don't know if they even have fjords. I'm just making that up, but, um, I, I don't really have any kind of like attachment to that. I just have the American, like America first sort of like no, I understand. The only, the only thing that I would say is that my perspective also goes back to America. I want, first and foremost, what's best for America. I would say that it would be different than what you're seeing specifically with Ukraine, but that's for another day. My main point, though, sure. is that that conversation, it would be of a particular type of viewpoint when you're on Tucker versus when you're on, like, I don't know, CNN or something. And what I fear may happen in the future is because people take all of the talking points, whether or not they're correct or not correct, they From all kind of, yeah, 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 they all kind of take them. And yeah. mistakes are bound to be made when you're talking about like not even dictator level, but when you're just talking about somebody like Trump or somebody else who's a populist making so we, so decisions. Yeah. there is less in the power of the mainstream media, which it's already doing to itself. Because I'm able to sit and have a conversation with Danielle, with yourself, yes. where we can say, like, I agree with you on this, this, and this, but not on this, this, and that. And I I have this conversation with people every day where it's like, just because I have X, Y, and Z foreign policy position doesn't mean I have whatever position domestically or this or that. Like I said, like, we've got to get to a place of more individualism, in a sense, where we can just simply actually ask ourselves what are my what it what is my position on issue x like i don't know that it is the same as everyone else who agrees with me on issue y and i actually think that social media and the individualization of like opinion sharing i think that's actually kind of going in the right direction i don't think it's going farther away at least on the right, because the destruction of Fox has basically made it so that, I mean, you know, I, 
I and everyone I know at least can look at Fox and be like, you know, they can say two things that I'm like, okay, yeah, I agree with that, but I agreed with that five years ago. That's boring. And then like, they can say 10 things that I'm like, this is the most retarded thing I've ever heard. Like, why are they even going on about this? Doesn't mean that I go over to CNN and I'm any happier. I certainly don't yeah. like that. But um, again, there's just this disgruntledness amongst, I think the majority of people um, when it comes to any mainstream media. I think that's why these smaller, more like particular outlets, you know, foreign policy I get from X outlet, domestic policy I get from this outlet. I get my wacky stuff from over here. I might get a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I think it's actually kind of like democratized itself. And uh, it, in, in, in the way, thought, in the way, like, I. Yeah, I, I'd love to see more interactions, let's say, with Tucker and some pro-Ukraine people. Just as a side, like I know that we differ there, but just as far as having a bit of kind of like counter to whatever it is that's been going on in one circle. And then, for example, having some other broadcaster, having somebody who's more isolation minded, I think that would well, be good, too. On uh, Iran, for example, I mean, this is one of the countries that was in my portfolio and it was one of the issues that's uh, a pet issue of mine. And um, I disagreed with, uh, you know, the Tucker crowd uh, as far as the generals that were uh, on that issue. Um, I disagreed with them um, off the bat. But once we sat down, there was a couple guys I sat down and had dinner with. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about five years into the future. I'm talking about 40 years into the future. And then it's like, okay, then we started to get on the same page. And I was like, imagine a world where there's this, there's this, there's this yeah. power structure. These two structures are keeping each other in check. America doesn't have to be involved. Like you, I, the, the, the foreign policy landscape is one where I think most people can really get into some deep conversations about um, issues and find that they actually agree far more than they disagree. Um, I, at least if you're not a total neocon who just wants to go to war all the time and waste our best generations. I mean, I don't think that that's, I don't think that everyone that has a different opinion than I do about certain issues is that. So no, the only people that I'm going to bring on are those who would see whatever it is, the worst case scenario. Yeah, we're going to try to prevent your cat from uh, doing some neocon well, okay. bullshit behind behind our backs. So it's like we want to avoid the worst case scenario. We want our people to prosper in America. You know, like we want uh, best, you know, peace on earth, whatever. But main, mainly we do want American industry to prosper. We want there to yeah. be a high, tr high trust society. That's very important where you don't feel like when your kids go to school, you know, there's going to be culture clashes. You know, there's going to be various things that don't conform to, let's say, a high level of civilization. Let's put it that way. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the things that a lot of the, you know, our migrants, migrants found when coming over here is that they did have to conform to a certain standard of civilization. And I think a lot of them did. And sure, you could say like some of it was like waspy, waspization or whatever. But I think a lot of it was more Americanization. You know, mm -hmm. I had to learn English and it was very quick for me. It was less quick for my family, but they still learned English. And one of the things yeah, we found... Yeah, did that yeah, same back in the like 18, whatever, 20s that they were here. I mean, this yeah. is something to read about in their diaries and whatnot. I mean, it's yeah, that's that that's the idea.
And unlike uh, Russians that we were living, you know, like in Russia where they have all this, you know, you're, you're talking about blackpilled. Like Russians are the most blackpilled people on earth because of all the slavery they had to go through, you know, under the Mongols. So America was like such a breath of fresh air. We're like, why are these people so friendly? You know, everybody's so nice. And it's like, that's what I really want to preserve. I want to preserve the high trust society where people are nice. And so far, like I walk around the, su the suburbs where I live in right now. And that's kind of like that. That's kind of like it. You know, everybody waves and I wave back. And it's like, you know, that's what I want to keep. And I want to keep yeah. uh, same thing that I think any sensible person wants to keep. And that's what we got to work on, regardless of whatever differences. We just have to hash it out. Next stream, I really want to bring in Curtis and Vlad. And they've been with awesome. each other talking for a long time. And Vlad, also a fellow Jay, by the way. So it's going to be one, two, three, four, four Jews this time around. And Vlad oh, is also a member, but he's super based. Don't get it, don't get it twisted. He's like a super yeah. based member of the Atlantic Council. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Okay, my computer is going to die. But okay. Let's, let's promise to do this again. Um, you may even have to bring me back with uh, with uh, some Curtis and company sometime because that would be really fun or with some of the, I don't know, some of the some of the friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh, my God. If we get into that. I mean, granted, you know, I've gone to. We know what I've done at the Atlantic Council. I'm not allowed to go anymore. Um <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I I yeah. can imagine. And again, so like he he hates uh, Hunter Biden. You know, he thinks he's an absolute degenerate. So he's like not one of these you know policy wonks. You know, with like the blinders on. The Atlantic Council thinks I'm an absolute degenerate. So that's oh, that's boy. okay. But yeah, it's yeah. It's we hard. have fun. We have fun here. We have fun on BTR. Fun. So guys, if you want to support this podcast, live stream, whatever you want to call it, become a patron right now. Patreon.com slash break the rules. That's the link. I'm going to post it in the chat over here for all of you. And uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, MP3s of the episodes after they come out uh, for the $5 patrons. Oh, little kitty cat wants to say hi. And yeah, if you become a patron, you are going to have for $20 membership VIP access to a lot of the events that I'm going to be throwing here in New York City, as well as private virtual events meeting of the minds, whatever you want to call it, where we're going to have the best people being able to connect to each other and figure out where we go from here. So the Amanda, best. yes. Yes. The best people. The best people. Absolutely. The, not, I'm not even going to try to do a Trump impression. You could do one if you want. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, Amanda, it was a great pleasure speaking with you and Daniele. Before you go, your computer fries out. Is there anywhere? Oh, what one thing people were saying in the chat, your nails are the color of my shirt. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Uh, they are. They're pretty kind close. of like a mermaid aqua. Um, I don't know what I was thinking with that. I was think I was doing like it's a last summer. It's the last summer nail color, like kind of like pool. It was the color of like a California pool. Yeah, that's what I was still, going for. Still, still feels like summer here in uh, Long Island. Oh, but anyway. Sure. Yeah. like summer here too yeah uh, but uh what was, would you what would you want to uh anything coming up oh here we go the computer died amanda don't die on me i was just about to promote all oh, anyway guys you could see plot against the president you could find amanda at uh twitter or x.com whatever it's called right now at amanda milius i'm gonna spell it out it is a m a N-D-A-M-I-L-I-U-S. 
And uh, please follow her on Twitter, Instagram as well, Daniele Bellelli. Please follow me on Twitter as well, at Levpo, L-E-V-P-O. Once again, patreon.com slash break the rules. And guys, listen, join my Substack. Enough is enough. I have a great article that I just wrote about Alex Jones. It is guaranteed to be a great time for all of you guys to... uh, 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 listen to, not listen to, you can't listen to uh, audio, right? But anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. Here is the article, Dissecting Alex Jones. Here is the thumbnail, close up, with the little frogs there and with all these background characters here. Uh, this is Solovyov over here on the side. Uh, he is one of uh, Putin's propaganda guys. There's like a sour-looking uh, Vladimir Putin and Alex Jones, who's like... Uh, dissected over here in the middle and it kind of talks about the good points the bad points and trying to figure out what we can grasp from this particular individual but anyway guys it's been a great pleasure as always next week break the rules the week after that break the rules break the rules all the time i'm going to sleep now everybody thank you so much for watching 